welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, with yes. your red shirt, how you doing? It's funny. This is a, it's a pink shirt, but I've noticed I can see myself on the Zoom, and it definitely mm. does read as, 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 as red. Yeah. Uh, but it's a very pink shirt. Um, it's from... Uh, uh, I can't remember. Oh, Post Imperial is the name of the um, the company that makes this shirt. They are a um, black-owned business, and I bought this shirt. Uh, okay. In in June when uh, uh, we started uh, supporting black-owned businesses, I hope people are still doing that. Uh, yeah. Natalie and I now have a standing Sunday food order from our local uh, black-owned Thai re- uh, or black-owned vegan restaurant. Was meant to say. Uh. I think this speaks to, cause I, yeah, I wasn't saying that in order to get into that aspect of the conversation. I think it speaks to how long I've known you that when you, when you have a new piece of clothing, I usually notice. Uh, and like, there are times like when you would come over to like before all of this, you'd come over and I'd be like, is that a new shirt? And sometimes the answer was yes, I just got it. But other times like, well, it's newish. And then you'd say like, I don't think I've worn it here before. And I'm like, yeah, I'm attentive. I'm an attentive co-host. And so when I was like, I don't remember David having a red shirt. And even though it's pink, I don't think I remember you having a pink shirt. So <laughs> yeah, uh, this, is, this is probably only the second time I've worn it. You know, and you're moonlight, it. You know, moonlighting as a target employee or, or whatever, just to make ends meet. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, yeah, speaking of uh, things I do to support social justice, um, well, first let me do an ad and say, okay, uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> com is where you go for professional, professional quality earbuds, a variety of stylish styles in colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them every, each and every day. Now, what I was getting to is that today I was listening to a, uh, a benefit album called Defund the Sheriff um that uh features uh vic mensa and a bunch of other people uh and it is uh produced by justice la schools not prisons question culture and reform la jails those are the uh the 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 organizations that put together this defund the sheriff uh compilation and it's what about the deputy do you do you defund the deputy (laughs) you do not okay um um <laughs> but it all sounded great in my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. David? I'm sorry. I wanted to mention this. Okay. Because I don't often talk about what I listen to. Um, but on today, on my tweet audio, I was at uh, the store today. And so I put in my earbuds and it's like, 
and I had a hat on. So it's like mask, earbuds, glasses, hat. This is great. I don't have yeah. to deal with anybody. <laughs> they don't know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. Um, but uh, I was listening to an audio book um, and a book I know you love. I've never read it. And I realized that listening is not the same as reading, but uh, I wasn't going to, it's, I, it's something the, sorry, I'm, a, I'm, I'm addressing the voice that? in my own mind. Okay. Um, I feel like it doesn't quite count, but it's better than nothing. Um, and uh, so I'm listening to needful things, which I've never read oh, uh, or listened to. Younger. Yeah. And I remember you, you saying it was uh, your, maybe your favorite Stephen King book, at least at the time, uh, many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in, in, in listening to it, first off sounded great. Of course. Um, Stephen King does his own reading and is pretty good. Much to, uh, that surprises me. Um, but, uh, oh, the book's great. I really, I really love it. It's just, it's, I've read some Stephen King and not all of it works for me, but like the tone of this one is spot on. Perfect. It's uh, I really like it. So uh, I'm getting on board with you, David. I know needful oh, things great. is your favorite book. And now it it's my, and now it's mine too. In ninth grade or whatever. Um, yeah. uh, there is no, there was no Stephen King um, related property that I can think of that was at comic-con at home this year so i cannot think of a good transition but maybe our guest can from nerdist.com it's kyle anderson here to talk with us about san diego comic-con at home hello everybody it was uh, it's nice to talk to you guys again i think the last time we spoke it was uh, near halloween so it's come it's been it feels like it's been 48 years but it's actually only <laughs> well, been less you than and one. i you were you were on the podcast for the tcm uh, oh, that's right. Episode, I forgot Tyler, we did that. But Tyler wasn't yeah. there. So yeah, we haven't still... all been together for a while. Golly, I'm, this is we're, yeah. we're in, enough to talk about multiple at-home <laughs> convention <laughs> slash festivals. Yeah, yeah. I look, we look forward to having you back for AFI Fest at home in another three months. <laughs> yeah. I, I, they haven't actually made any announcement yet, which they fucking should. They better as, do Tyler, as Tyler knows, nothing bothers me more than not knowing. That's, and so that's why true. Why can't AFI Fest just tell us what the deal is? Yeah. AFI yeah. Fest, the AFI docs did a digital festival. Just announce it. Yeah. yeah. And that just seems to be the way of the world. Like Telluride's going to do it. Um, f- they took forever, by the way, to, to announce that they weren't going to have the thing, the actual uh, festival. Um, Fantasia Film Festival out of Montreal, which I've always wanted to go to. They're doing a, a virtual version uh, or an at-home version. So I'm excited to actually get to, you know, attend as it were that's good um so yeah, yeah. just uh, speaking of uh, of of canada and film festivals tiff just announced the uh lineup this year um for their festival which they are actually doing some in-person screenings for torontonians um mm. uh because canada's in general doing a better job than uh the states is with uh, with covid but uh for press it's going to be entirely online um so they announced that list today. There's some exciting features coming to, to TIFF. But we're not talking, we're not here to talk about Fantasia or TIFF or, or, or AFI Fest, Eternal Classic Movies, Classic Film Festival, which is the full name of that festival. We're here to talk about San Diego Comic-Con 2020, the 51st annual San Diego Comic-Con and the first and hopefully only entirely uh, uh, virtual uh, convention. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that at the top, if that's okay. okay. Yeah. Um, like, I know that we want to talk about the various panels and stuff that we watched, but I did want to talk about just sort of the larger fact of this. Um, because, you know, Jen and I were talking about 
next summer and what we think next summer will look like and what it could look like. Hopefully things are a little bit more under control. And so mm-hmm. hopefully Comic-Con will actually happen. Um, but as is the case with any kind of workplace or any kind of event, this pandemic and, and so many things uh, being reorganized so that people can watch it or engage with it at home you know, it's not like everything's just going to go back to the way it was. And so I'm really, I'm really curious to see again, like, let's say, let's say January hits COVID's gone just forever. Okay. Um, I know that's, so obviously I'm not speaking likely, but yes, theoretically for the sake of I've, argument. I've heard some things that it's all I've based heard on you're working on a vaccine. I am. It, it's mostly just me mixing the pills that I happen to have in my, uh, in my cabinet there. And uh, so far, I haven't gotten it. So I think I'm doing all right. I sleep about 20 hours a day. <laughs> um, but, you know, so it, in this vacuum, like just assuming that everything is fine and that there really are no more concerns about it, um, I can't imagine that Comic-Con is going to go back to just doing things the way it always did. I do wonder what impact this is going to have. I wonder if they're going, cause they already make big panels like available online. I wonder if they're just going to do that for everybody or maybe if they will do a, uh, do a thing where you could have like all access for us for an amount of money. Um, because obviously every, every year there are people that aren't able to get badges to Comic-Con. And so this is a way like this year, it makes sense for everything to be free. Cause we're all trying to like, you know, band together and, mm-hmm. and uh, find something to uh, distract us. But uh, with, with Comic-Con, I do uh, my first thought was like, I, I can imagine like now that they have sort of the infrastructure in place, I can imagine them, finding a way to monetize this, but also it's, it's essentially a consolation prize for uh, the people that aren't able to make it. Like now they can do this, you know, in the same way that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm teaching 100% virtual uh, this semester, but it's nice to know that in the future, if something were to happen and I'm not able to make it to class for some reason, I might still be able to have class. You know, like this aspect of things is never going to fully go away. Uh, and so I'm interested to see, I, I wanted to know, like, if if you guys who I think are, are even better acquainted with Comic-Con than I am, if you think that this at-home thing is going to have a larger impact on just the way Comic-Con is run, even outside of the world of, of COVID. Well, I'll, first I'll say, Tyler, you've always had a class. Um, and uh, second, I will throw to Kyle for this answer, who is more involved than I am as someone who has moderated multiple Comic-Con panels, including at least one this year. I would throw this coffee in your face, but all it would do is get on my computer. I said a nice thing about you. <laughs> I know, but it's the way you say it. It's, <laughs> like, it's like, how can I be encouraging and have like a, a dumb dad joke in there at the same time? Anyway, yes, Kyle. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, it's interesting because this was, you know, the big, the big thing, you know, like in terms of conventions and in terms of like, um, both the, the nerd, I guess, geek culture world, the pop culture world, but then also the, the kind of just promotional world, like Comic-Con is, is, or was for a long time, the big thing. Um, but what I think is really interesting is seeing, there were a ton of panels via 
San Diego Comic-Con this year, like on their, you know, if you just go to their, their YouTube page, they've got everything. Um, and there's so many, and I was like really impressed by how many they were able to, you know, do, but then you all, there were also other things, uh, kind of actually what we saw like Marvel doing, uh, last couple years where it's like, they just have their own like thing they don't need the you know a press conference basically they get all the press that day because nobody else is doing anything and there's been a few of those like leading up to this um mm-hmm. but actually kind of before comic-con even announced stuff people were just kind of like well we're gonna you know have our own yeah either convention or like you know day of programming or whatever so i think fi- i find that really interesting the other thing like comic-con specifically is uh I don't know how you you all felt, but watching the panels, it was like interesting or whatever. But so much of what makes the panel or the 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 convention fun is being in the room with a ton of people, getting the reactions out of stuff. You know, like just listening to people on a Zoom call because we all probably for work or otherwise have had to do a million Zoom calls this yeah. this year. That's not uh, that this week. Fun. <laughs> yeah, this week. It's not that fun anymore for me. Like to watch. Uh, you know, unless I'm really, really interested in the people or what they're talking about, I don't really just want to sit and watch a Zoom call for an hour. So that's that's kind of like, and maybe it'll be different once people can actually be in the same room again and and things like that. But so that was that's sort of like my takeaway there. But then there's also the kind of San Diego of it all. Like like San Diego makes so much money every year as a city having the convention that this I mean it's it, this year is terrible for economies all over, but like san diego specifically like they kind of their whole year is based on baseball season and comic-con and neither can actually happen this year so it's it's really interesting that um you to see where that was and i think that's kind of why comic-con international was holding out as long as they were to see like if they could maybe get something going because they have kind of this long-term contract that they don't want to like you know whatever um that's that's something else that i've seen from other or heard from other kind of smaller conventions is that they have a contract in place with this this thing they can't cancel before the the venue says that they can cancel right so it's like you know you're kind of just in a in a holding pattern in a lot of ways so it was it was a really interesting experiment i think it was ultimately like a good like it was a successful thing again i was like impressed by all the things that they were able to do but uh if you look at some of like the viewing figures also a lot of the bigger panels were split among multiple channels so it's hard to kind of gauge how much you know like attendance because like how how was that well everything was on comic-con comic-con international's page but then some of the ones like were on either hbo max's page or you know like other other YouTube channels were having the same thing, whether they weren't, I don't believe like live quote unquote, um, they weren't the premier one, but you could find them and watch the whole thing. Like, um, one of the ones we'll talk about, like, uh, the new mutants panel was being broadcast quote unquote live, but there was a link to the video. And so you could just watch the video and just skim to the end and watch the trailer. Like, 10 minutes in <laughs> if you wanted to so like it wasn't yeah, it wasn't a perfect system we also can talk about that well yeah because as, as you know um I'll, I'll get back to you about the, the the viewing numbers you wanted to say but um as you know as someone who moderated the panel these were not actually alive uh yeah. they're done and i found i found it funny that like uh I, I feel like some of the panels that i watched i watched a bunch of panels some of the panels i watched seem to be trying to like keep up the illusion of this mm-hmm. is live and some of them were very clearly like it's mid-june we don't know what this is going to look like in six weeks yeah 
<laughs> yeah, that's totally, yeah. So I, I moderated the uh, BritBox's Red Dwarf like panel. Um, they, BritBox, for those of you who don't know, is a is a uh, streaming service joint venture between the BBC and ITV in the UK. It's a lot of British television. Um, they have all of classic Doctor Who, for example. Um, and they also have all of Red Dwarf. And there's a, a movie that, you know, like a TV movie that was produced, I think, in earlier this year it aired in the uk and it was like coming to britbox and i think it it came to britbox like the day of our panel which was sunday the 26th um uh or whatever day that was i think it was the 26th yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's it um so but apparently uh so we recorded ours in the middle of june um and um i think it's comic-con as a as a group or whatever wanted all of the panels in by the middle of june which seems like a crazy early time especially since a lot of the panels were ostensibly maybe promotional panels and stuff like that so you don't know like what's what's exclusive what's new like anything like right. that so um and and they were all you know edited for time i don't think any of them were that much over an hour maybe you know like they'd kind of just let kevin smith do whatever he wanted but um that you know our panel ended up being like 40 Maybe no less than that. I was like thirty-two or something like that minutes long. Like the, I, I will say, the edited. longest one I the uh, we'll get to it. We get to it, but the the annual Jack Kirby tribute panel went an hour and twelve minutes. Oh wow! But yeah, everything else I saw was under an hour, if yeah. not only like forty-five minutes. But that one, I guess they figured if someone's tuning into yet another Jack Kirby tribute panel, <laughs> right. they're probably in it for the long, <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. At this yeah, point. for sure. Yeah. So I, it was, yeah, it was interesting from my perspective and also like, you know, uh, working for a entertainment news site, we kind of weren't sure what was going to be worth us covering and stuff like that. And um, for, for whatever reason, there was a bunch of news out of Comic-Con on the Thursday. There was the new mutants thing, which ended up not being much of news, but there was like the Bill and Ted panel, th things like that, which were like, got us some traffic, but then Friday and Saturday and Sunday were all just kind of like, man, nothing and and it was uh it was weird it was weird to be like unsure um because every year prior it's like our job is to sit by the computer or by you know and a panel actually in the last few years of actually going to the the convention we uh us news writers would just sit in a room and like wait for the news to come out because that we could get it up quicker than if we were actually at the panel <laughs> but um but yeah but from your guys perspective as as people who go uh, you know david use how many would this have been for you this would have been my 15th. Yeah. I think I, I'm going to, I'm going to like see how other people count it. Like are yeah. people counting this as one? Like am I, is next year going to be my 16th annual Comic-Con? Is that what I say? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how I'll, I'll follow other people's leads on, on, on that. But, um, I, uh, I, I would, in, I would be inclined to say no. Um, <laughs> like I, I don't like, I'm certainly not counting this for me because i mean so as we've talked about before and as we talked about last week uh so much of of comic-con is the larger experience the panels I'm, i enjoy them when they're when they're fun they're they're for some people the panels are what it's all about and that's fine i won't take that from them but at the same time uh for me they're just sort of maybe the icing on the cake uh or just a delightful side dish to keep a food metaphor going i haven't had lunch today um and and so to, but of course, the only thing that they could do for the at-home thing is just boil everything down to panels. You know, there's, there's no other aspect of the convention that you can really replicate. And so 
you know, to boil it down to panels. And then, uh, yes, Kyle, I agree with you 100%. When you go to panels, uh, and this is something that I go back to go back to me teaching. This is something that I've said about me as a teacher is that, yes, I've been teaching from home and the material is the same, but there, but when you're in front of people, there is an energy to the audience, even if the audience are, you know, college students who don't actually want to be there. Uh, but you can respond to the vibe in the room as opposed to just doing what the three of us are doing right now and what everyone is accustomed to at this point. Like there's no real novelty to it. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, Comic-Con, like they, they made the efforts and sure enough, I looked at some of the, some of the view counts for some of them and they're extremely high and good for them. Um, others are very low, uh, which is about perfect for, uh, for Comic-Con. Some panels are, are exciting and for some people and some are not, but, uh, but yeah, it definitely is not the same. There, there are a lot of panels that I would start and then get bored and uh-huh. navigate away. Uh, as opposed to like, if at Comic-Con itself, um, I would just be like, I would be happy to like sit in a, uh, in a room and just be like, and just sort of relax. And sometimes what was happening in front of me was like, you know what, this is kind of like, even if it's not officially that interesting, I can gauge the interest of the people in the room and I yeah. can be excited on behalf of them. Whereas here I can just navigate away like I could any other YouTube video. And I, I know, did. I don't know if I've ever told the story on this podcast before, but the re I mean, if you, you, my friends know that I'm a big doctor who fan and I've sort of my, a lot of my public um, online persona kind of stemmed out of me being a doctor who fan. And you know, I started my first thing that at Nerdist was writing about doctor who stuff like that. Um, uh, the, the reason I like Doctor Who, the reason I gave it a chance is because I went to a Comic-Con panel because we wanted to, it was in 2009, my friend and I, it was the first one I'd ever gone to, and uh, we were going to go see uh, something to do with the Watchmen movie. That tells you mm-hmm. the period of time. Um, and uh, uh, we couldn't get in. It was full. And so then we were like, well, let's just go into the, the, the next room over. And they were showing an episode of Torchwood and an episode of Doctor Who. And David Tennant and John Barrowman and uh, the showrunner Russell T Davies were there to introduce those things. And I knew what Doctor Who was. I knew nothing about the current regime. I didn't know anything about Torchwood. And um, the the excitement, the buzz in the room. It wasn't a big room because at that point in the U.S. it wasn't a big thing or as big a thing. Um, and the excitement of the crowd got me like into it. And so I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. And so then when it was like the next week or whatever, when I was home and it was on BBC America, I was like, yeah, I'll give it a watch. And from there, it just kind of cascaded, but I would never have thought to give it a try had I not been at a Comic-Con panel. So and like, that's you, sort and, of the magic of it. And you wouldn't have been in that panel if you had gotten into the one that you were trying for. That's totally true. The, yeah. Uh, whereas here, like there's no such thing as uh, yeah, everyone gets into every panel. Yeah. It'd be funny. I mean, it'd be funny if YouTube like cut off the view, the <laughs> yeah. view count. It's like, sorry, we're at, we're at 50,000 views. You can't see it now. Yeah. Um, um, that would I actually say, be perfect. I really um, like that. I'll say uh, I watched, I'm not, I'm not sure how many panels you guys watched. I count 17. I watched 17 oh, wow. panels. I tried wow. to, I tried to, if I'm going to count this as my 15th Comic-Con, I decided sure. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, it's funny. I, I, I liked more of these panels than I didn't. Some of them I will admit that 
being on my computer and watching them makes it easier for me to like do other stuff while they're going on. And there there are some that I did some of that on uh, with, but I would say I've gone through, uh, you know, with 14 comic cons, I've, I've gone through phases and I would say start last year, got me really back into panels. I went through periods where I was like, I'm not really here for the panels. I'm here for the friends and the atmosphere and the floor and the, all that stuff. But last year with the, all the 50th anniversary panels and the uh, multiple Stanley tribute panels that I, that mm-hmm. I went to um, plus just some other uh, one-offs that were really cool that I talked about uh, on the podcast last week. Um, I was really into panels and this kind of, I don't know. I feel like this kind of uh, uh, made me excited for next year to go back to, to panels, to, to, uh, to focus on, I think when I was younger going to Comic-Con, uh, like a lot of younger fans do, I was focused on going to the panel for the next big thing that's coming out, seeing the exclusive footage, you know, seeing the celebrity or whatever. Now I've, over time, I've become way more interested in these look back panels. These Here's the history of, of this. I mentioned the Jack Kirby tribute. There's another one we'll talk about uh, in, in, in a minute. We should probably just get into the panels, but... Um, uh, that those are really fun uh, to me, and uh, especially as you got uh, with so, some of these, I'll, I'll admit it was just uh, like this is. It was just a Zoom call, um, but some of them there was a production thing where you know they would say like clearly this is written out to like okay we're going to get to this question this question then we're going to show a clip and then we're going to like and and uh, those were very much uh, engaging and, and and fun to watch, but. Um, I don't know. Do we just want to go day by day? Did you say, I don't know how you guys had your, uh, oh, and I didn't even pay attention to day by day. I just, uh, cause I watched all of them like after the fact. So I didn't oh, okay. pay attention to what was available, what day. So yeah, same. Well, oh, okay. So, uh, I just don't remember. I didn't write them down. Well then, uh, I, I don't know how you, how you guys want to, uh, structure this. Then I'll just start with, the first thing I watched on Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, which was the directors on directing panel, uh, with, um, Colin Trevorrow. Uh, <laughs> Hello, uh, this is this <laughs> Mr. Mr. Trevorrow. Trevorrow. All right. That's now, even the listeners don't know that joke. I don't think that's true. Um, yeah. that's a very specific <laughs> SNL reference. Um, Anyway, uh, Joseph Kaczynski and the reason I was watching, Robert Rodriguez. And uh, uh, it was um, Frosty from Collider was moderating it. He moderated a couple of the panels that I watched. Um, and he, you know, had, I think, a lot of the uh, his, in Comic-Con style. They were often very superficial questions. Um, and often, like, he asked things like, and I don't want to sound like I'm like Frosty was doing his job. I'm, I'm like throwing him under the bus, but he's asking things like, "What's a what's a uh, what's something in your career you really had to fight against the studio for?" And I would and like, you're talking to Colin Trevorrow and Joseph Kaczynski, like two guys who seem pretty comfortable working with the studios, um, and so. Uh, um, but true to form, Robert Rodriguez, who is someone who works on his own and has been able to wield the studio system to his own uh, ends for a lot of his career, often had the 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 best um, the best answer. His answer to that question, in particular, was um, that it was a fight for him to have the family and Spy Kids be a Latino family. Hmm. Um, and uh, he started by he was saying he started by making all these arguments 
you know that were more so justice based or whatever and then basically he was he, he the what finally got him traction was saying you don't have to be american to like james bond and that was what uh, uh, apparently got people to got the studio to be like oh okay um uh, but he had all sorts of uh, uh great stories um i'm trying to think there was uh um they were asked about um how frustrating it is when plot points are given away in the trailer when you don't have you don't have control over the trailer and just because he talked about in oblivion i guess this is a spoiler for oblivion but he didn't want it to be revealed that there were other earthlings on earth besides tom cruise and his and his wife but he was like the mistake i made was casting morgan freeman if you cast morgan freeman in your movie the studio is going to want to tell people that morgan freeman's in this movie and so they put him in the trailer <laughs> and so robert, again robert Rodriguez, with almost every question had the most interesting answer and i learned that robert Rodriguez makes his own posters and trailers and actually writes stuff into his movie to cut into a trailer like and he was say, saying like it it, uh, it helps him make the movie more interesting because a lot of times the trailer is trying to tell a story and so they end up with something from the third act because that's you want a third act yeah and so he was like i tend to write f- third act type reveals into the first two acts of my movie so that i can put them in the trailer and then on top of that people get an extra surprise when they come to see the movie um and and uh yeah you talked about on 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 predators he like made his own poster and the studio went through rounds and rounds of trying to create their own poster and at the end of the day they were like you know what we like the predators poster that you did uh the best um he's a fascinating guy he does he like and we all know this he writes and shoots and edits he mixes his own uh, his own sound mixes he uh, uh writes or co-writes his own scores his movie that's coming out for netflix uh he was saying his son wrote the score um <laughs> Um, that uh, yeah um, but he also had uh, uh, there and uh, other people had interesting you know uh, uh, question or answers because one of the questions was what's a movie that you almost got to make it didn't obviously Colin Trevorrow has a Star Wars movie to talk about and he yeah. showed off a little like model of a of a Star Wars ship that he designed that never got to exist and only exists in this model form that he hmm. that he has it uh, which he also designed with his kids pa- apparently being the kid of a director you get to do whatever you whatever you want um uh, jj abrams kid you get to write a comic book with him right. <laughs> cool uh just the most inter- one of the most interesting if you're into like oh i didn't know that stuff from panels uh one thing we learned is that joseph kaczynski came very close to being the director of the movie that became Ford v Ferrari. Hmm. Um, it's the oh, same wow. script. It was called go like hell, which is a better name. Um, and it had, and he, he said like he, he never got into like full pre-production, but he got to the point of having a table read with Tom Cruise in the Christian Bale role and Brad Pitt in the Matt Damon role. Um, wow. and, and so that, that would have been, uh, but then when he was asked how would it have been different, uh, he was, he was kind of like, I probably would have done it pretty much the same way Jason Michael did it. Yeah. Um, but then the most, I, I can't wait to tell that neither of you watched this, this panel. Uh, no, now I want to watch it though. Um, yeah. The, the, the most touching moment, uh, I almost like teared up that, uh, Frosty asked like, what's, uh, what's a pinch me moment from your career or whatever. Um, and Robert Rodriguez talked about, he was invited to this symposium at, uh, Lucasfilm 
and he brought his kid again once you're the son of a director you get to do all kinds of cool stuff and he said he was like bringing his kid and he was pointing out all these other big like hollywood directors that are there he's pointing out like see that guy he made jaws that guy made star wars that guy made the terminator and then like uh i'm getting emotional just telling the story like and then later steven Spielberg walked up to rodriguez and was like hey can you come over here for a minute and steven Spielberg brought, brought Robert Rodriguez over to his son and said, this is the guy who made spy kids. And Steve mm. was like, Oh my God. And th- that's uh so uh, without fail, I don't want to mean to throw Colin Trevorrow or Joseph Kaczynski into the bus, but without fail, this panel was as good as it was because Robert Rodriguez is a fascinating guy and a great storyteller. Uh, you know, so I actually, I mean, it's, we don't necessarily need to do it this way, but I, there, I feel like that transitions into yeah, I, I went ahead and watched the evening with Kevin Smith panel because <laughs> I, when he's just talking, I find I find that he can be kind of entertaining, and he is a good storyteller. But like when he's just talking about events of, from his own life, I, I feel like we're at the point, and I hope we are at the point that we kind of all got to with Guy Fieri, where like it was fun to make fun of this guy for a while. And then everyone kind of w- wakes up and like, is like, why are we being a dick? This seems like a nice guy. And I kind of feel that way about Kevin Smith. I don't love his yeah. movies, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like what harm is he doing anybody? He's just he's, like, he's a, he's an excitable goofball stoner yeah. and uh, he loves things. Let's, let's stop throwing under the bus for loving things. And he's extremely gracious. That's the other thing. You know, he, he's very quick to, you know, appreciate his fans and recognize that like you know the whole reason that he has a a career is not merely because studios believed him in him but like uh but that fans like latched onto his stuff and so uh so there are a couple things towards the beginning uh of his uh panel that really stuck out and they're similar to what you're talking about um and I mean, it's it's interesting that you say it because now that now that I think about it, it's like yeah, Robert Rodriguez and, and uh, Kevin Smith kind of started around the same time, uh, at least as far as uh, uh, Hollywood is concerned. And so he talked about uh, when he was a when he was a, a young kid, his parents brought him uh, and his brother to Hollywood and like just looked around and they and they went to like the Grauman's Chinese. And uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 just had their, their uh, footprints uh, done in the, in the cement there. And so he was looking and really amazed at it. And, the, and he said, like his dad said, he goes, who knows, son, maybe someday you'll have your uh, handprints in here. Just the kind of thing that dads say. <laughs> and then he talked about like years later, uh, he and uh, J- Jason Hughes were asked to do their handprints and and he's just like, this is just not the kind of thing. He goes, first off, you don't expect it at all. But then when you have the career that I've had, you still don't expect it, uh, you know, which is good for him. Uh, but then he talked about how, um, you know, on top of that, uh, the Library of Congress, uh, you know, uh, incorporated um, clerks into the National film registry because of like what a representative from an independent film standpoint at the time. And, uh, and some of that had to do with like fans, like speaking out and, and his producer, like kind of mounting a campaign, but nonetheless, without the fans that wouldn't have happened. And so he's, he's extremely thankful at no point does he say like, yeah, we did some amazing things. In fact, he, he often seems uh, sort of surprised by his success and it doesn't strike me as a false modesty either, um, which I appreciate. And so he talks about, you know, when he 
when he was a kid walking around the the Grauman's Chinese and looking at this handprint and that handprint, his he would say, "Dad, who's this?" And he's like, "Oh, well, that's Jimmy Tur- Jimmy Durante," you know, and explaining who that is. And he says, "You know, maybe someday in the future, um, there will be some kid walking around and and uh, you know, people that grew up watching my movies, um, you know." The kid says, like, well, who, who are these guys? And the parent will just say, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, so I appreciate that. And it was just, it was a nice, like, he, he is just one of these guys that, like, yes, uh, for the most part, I don't really care for his movies. But he, at this point, is so much more than just his movies. He is a brand. It's not always a brand I like. But he, as a person, I get the impression that, it, that like, anybody could sit down with him for any length of time and have a really fun conversation and he would be more than willing to do it. You know, I don't think he thinks he's better than anybody else. Uh, and yeah, it's just, I was, it was a nice remind. It was a nice reminder that like, there was a time when I really liked him. And even though I think I outgrew his movies, he himself still is a, is a fairly humble guy and, and interesting and is able to tell us, tell a story verbally in a way that is funny and emotional and insightful. And it was a, it was a, a nice, uh, nice pan. It's him by himself. You know, he's, he's, in, it's wow. just like one long monologue and good for him. I'm sure he had some notes, but he mostly just went from his own mind and, and I think uh, did a good job. Did you watch that guy? I didn't. Um, but I have seen Kevin Smith uh, at a couple comic cons now um, because, because of that thing. Like he is a fun and entertaining like person to listen to for just an hour um and uh you know i think as most of us because we we we're all you know relatively the same age and we are of the same kind of like generation of film people like he was somebody that we all or i did anyway i don't want to speak for everybody but like the fact that he got to make movies uh was just like cool like anybody could do like you know this coming again robert rodriguez is another one like rodriguez smith and um uh link later you know slightly before and then tarantino was like it look we can all do this this is the geek time we can all do and and so now it's sort of become you know you kind of uh lose your interest in some of the you know the the films that these people make you know as chase change or you know whatever um and so kevin smith is one where it's like i i have you know really disliked his last like three or four movies, but I, st- I still like him. I think he's a, you know, he's a super nice guy and, 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 you know, cause he's, he's done a, a few things at Nerdist before um, and is just the nicest dude. Like, and we'll just, you know, he's very easy to interview. Cause he, like, he just will keep, he, you don't have to ask that many questions, but um, <laughs> he's uh but yeah, just couldn't, could not be a nicer man. Um, um, but I did, I did watch him uh, moderate another panel, which was the, uh, Bill and the, Ted, the, the Bill and Ted one. Yes, I watched that too. And tell me if you had this experience, because this is uh, uh, the opposite of what Tyler is saying when he was all by himself. It's him moderating a panel with eight panelists, so there's nine people, including yeah. him. And at the beginning, when he's introducing everyone, and he d- introduces uh, Bridget Lundy Payne, who plays Ken Reeves' uh, daughter in the movie, and they, when when he introduced them, they said, "By the way, I use." they them pronouns and i don't think that kevin smith heard them because he was Mm. going on to just introducing the next people next person and so i spent the entire the entirety of the panel being like the back of my head 
is Kevin Smith going to misgen- misgender Bridget Lindy Payne? Is it going to be like that? He's like, he would do it maliciously. It's like, is it going to be awkward that, that they're going to have to like say it again? <laughs> like, uh, so like I couldn't entirely enjoy the Bill and Ted face the music panel because I thought that Kevin Smith might accidentally misgender one of the yeah, with, with no malice, just the yeah, kind of no. thing where it's like, I go by they, them. He goes, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> he, literally did, he did literally did and said like, right on. And next is the guest. <laughs> <laughs> it took, I, I, I paused it just so I could see the little, I was watching it on my TV. Um, uh, it was like a full eight minutes before everybody had gotten introduced and in, in a 40 minute or whatever it was, 45 minute panel i was just like yeah that's a very kevin smith way to do it and everybody's man but some people are cats that's the way that he talks about people (laughs) (laughs) um yeah that's right uh and he uh in keeping with the pg nature of the bill and ted movies he said a lot of and stuff instead of and shit like he normally says yeah he normally talks like that and shit you know he He did not uh Uh, he did not censor himself uh (laughs) for his own thing he was Um, beeped a lot but i i I, something i said uh to tyler uh off like in a different conversation was a lot of these comic-con panels tended to be good or bad in many of the same ways that they are good or bad in person and mm-hmm. one thing that I, when you've got the big panel like Bill and Ted Face the Music there's often there's like the one person that you personally are very interested in who barely talks and yeah. William, Sad- William Sadler did eventually get his moment to tell uh, to tell a story about how he uh, the very first take of the very first shot he's in he sprained his wrist and spent the rest of the movie with an enormously swollen uh, swollen wrist um, but uh, I- I'm like because one of the things I'm most excited about uh, in face music is that they brought death the character back for bogus journey and i couldn't wait to hear stories and he's mostly williams out there just very you know graciously uh sat there and listened to other people talk yeah it happens a lot and i I often feel bad for that that actor (laughs) but you know at least here they're just spending their time they didn't have to like travel all the way down uh to not be asked questions yeah yeah I, but I enjoyed that panel overall. I think again because Smith is so um, like exuberant about the the property. And but there again, I was like, I want to hear everybody else talk. I don't really want to hear you know you not talk about the movie that you you have seen that we haven't. Good for yeah. you, man. Um, but um, but yeah, I thought it was good. I I really like. I mean, I just really like uh, Alex Winter a lot. I think like especially in the last few years, getting the the kind of ball rolling on, on this project getting it going. Like he's just such a, like uh, a fascinating dude, a really thoughtful guy. We um, Rosie Marks, who was one of our writers uh, on Twitter. That's her name. Um, she uh, interviewed him uh, for that movie freaked uh, yeah. that mm-hmm. he did. And yeah. it was a really long and really amazing uh, conversation where he just kind of talked about, yeah, we thought this movie was going to be great and be a big hit, and it wasn't. And so I just I like the fact that he was he's so kind of down to earth about that stuff. Um, and so that was really cool. I really you know I, I thought everybody was great, and I'm I'm like super yeah. stoked to see that movie, which is yeah coming soon, very yeah, soon. Yeah, and it's uh, because it, by the way, Alex Winter, I have to whenever a famous person when I, if anybody on the podcast ever says a nice thing about a famous person who is from St. Louis, I have to say <laughs> you know the, you know that person from St. Louis. Yeah, Alex Winter is a St. Louis and. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the reasons I'm looking forward to it is that uh, um, 
this is a this is a franchise that they've changed some things out. There's the the princesses are played by different actresses in every uh, every movie, but the writers have always been like it's always been Ed Sullivan and Chris Matheson, and I think that's why they were able to keep the movie weird with the second one. And I'm hoping that they're able to do their own thing and not just make it a a, a, a retread or or a fan service thing. That because you're keeping the writers. Um, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the same thing there. Um, speaking of Chris Matheson, uh, it was fun learning along with Kevin Smith that Chris Matheson is uh, related to Richard Matheson, who wrote I Am Legend. Uh, and also it was very fun. I was aware of this, but it was very fun seeing Kevin Smith realize that Samara Weaving is Hugo Weaving's niece. <laughs> and, uh, and when, when she said something like about... Uh, you know, he killed my uncle in another movie, and Kevin Smith was like, "Oh, like a huge reaction." <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. I love I love those things where it's like Kevin Smith is just like, "I got this. I don't have to look up anybody." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he feels like he was a he was a. I mean, he is a podcaster, but he was yeah. kind of a podcaster before podcasting existed. <laughs> um, and the last thing I'll say, I'll t- toss back to you, Kyle. The last thing I'll, I wanted to point out about the Bill and Ted Face Music panel that will lead me to the next panel I want to talk about, but I'll let you finish. Uh, Keanu Reeves seems like a great guy. And one bit of evidence that he seems like a great guy is that both the panels I saw him in, he took time to call out the like below the line or character, like below the line, the, the, the below the line actors or the, or the cast and crew. Like in and, and this Bill and Ted, like the panel was almost over and Kevin and Ken Reeves was like, wait, we can't go before we say thank you to acknowledge. And he started listening, listing like, Hal Linden, who plays, uh, you know, he's in the movie as his dad, right? Is that right? Um, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and, and naming a bunch of other people. Uh, and he did that in another panel. But uh, I don't know, do you have any other thoughts about the Face the Music panel? No, I mean, yeah, I think that's really cool about Keanu Reeves. I, I also watched another one with him. I'm assuming it's, I, th- I think he only did the two. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, he's a really you know super humble dude and it was it was funny that he got introduced last because you know like obviously he's the biggest star but it, the whole time it's just like who's kevin smith talking oh it's not he's like it just kept like being as uh aggrandizing about everybody um, that actually brings me to another interesting point that was made with samara weaving and bridget lundy Payne being they were both of them were born after the first movie came out bridget right. lundy Payne after both the movies came out and uh the kind of acknowledging that to them being in this, in this movie and, and doing the research, watching the past movies, they saw John Wick and Neo become Ted Theodore Logan. And Kevin Smith is like, for the rest of us, it was the other way around. Like we saw yeah. this goofy, like comedic actor become one of cinema's great badasses. And that is truly something that like, like he's been that, I mean, since the matrix basically but mm-hmm. like he has been john wick for a while now and so to see him in clips for the movie which clean shaven it is a yeah. mind because it's like his face is too hangdog now to be to not have a beard yeah, yeah. all of us and, have beards so we understand this yeah thing. oh yeah and he had a beard on the comic-con panel so clearly he knows that the beard oh, he knows him. and <laughs> he not knows wearing a beard in, in bill and dead face music was a creative choice to yes. make him look old Mm-hmm. Uh, so should we transition into the Constantine reunion? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, which was that this this was the panel I if I were a person who camped out this is, and and we were actually doing this live this is the one I would have camped Kinda out. Me too. Or, yeah. Or yeah, I, I I feel like over the fifteen years this is a fifteen year reunion of Constantine. The movie's reputation has been uh, 
uh, revised, which I'm glad uh, uh, has happened. But uh, Tyler, as someone who has known me all those 15 years and more, you know that I was on board the Constantine, Constantine, Constantine train uh, from the jump, from the word you can, go. You can say the constant train. I think constant it's fine. Train, yeah. <laughs> um, I have been a fan of Constantine, the film, and a fan of uh, Francis Lawrence, the director, uh, from the beginning. It was, uh, I missed it in the theater, um, but I rented it on DVD when it came out, and it's one of the uh, – something I've done a couple times. I used to do more when you actually physically rented things and had to have them back by a certain time. I watched Constantine, and then I immediately watched it again, uh, which is something I used to do a lot. Um, uh, so I've been a fan uh, from the beginning, and it was really great to, to hear all these stories and to, and to see that uh, – and to hear from Francis Lawrence and uh, – uh, Akiva Goldsman and Keanu Reeves uh, that they've seen the the reputation of the movie be rescued over the years too that they get approached a lot uh, and I, I think Francis Lawrence said for all the movies he's made even catching you know multiple Hunger Games movies the DVD he is most often asked to sign is Constantine it's it's weird to see like a comic book movie of the of the modern age like it was made post X Men mm. um, get that kind of a response and it was a, it was a studio picture it was a warner brothers movie and um it's it is it's weird i mean because i saw it when it came out and i was like i thought it was fine i i liked it but then i didn't watch it for a really long time and just over time people just you know people like yourself i think actually david just started talking about what a good movie it was and so then a couple years ago i was like oh it's on whatever thing cable uh, let me watch it and i was just like oh this movie's really good like how did <laughs> how did i like however old i was me just go yeah it's fine like what was my level of like at wanting at that point were you a hellblazer fan no. and that's okay. actually something i have gone back since then in the in the and read um alan moore swamp thing and uh, not all of hellblazer but a good chunk of hellblazer so i know the character a lot more and also justice league dark so like constantine is a much bigger kind of, of entity i guess in the dc universe now than he was then um well see the uh, timing wise uh I the Old Guard just recently came out, and I would say, having watched The Old Guard, the Netflix movie, um, I am now more sympathetic to Hellblazer fans who didn't like Constantine because mm. it was such a change. Uh, and like, cause, uh, The Old Guard's getting great reviews across the board, but I happen to have been a fan of Greg Rooka's uh, original comic miniseries, The Old Guard, and I just couldn't get past some of the, not necessarily changes they made, just some of the things they left out that I was like, why would you leave out the stuff that was most interesting? But uh, so I do have some sympathy for the Hellblazer fans who will never be able to like the fact that Keanu Reeves is American and blonde and wears a black trench coat instead of a, a tan uh, or olive trench coat uh, like Constantine. Um, I get it. But uh, on its own yeah. merits, I love I love the movie. I love it just for uh, being the only movie that's had the balls to put Keanu Reeves and Tilda Swinton in the same scene together and then throw Peter Stormare on top of it. Like it's a collection yeah, of you want to talk about a, a great third act reveal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that was like, and then watching it again, again, knowing all that stuff, I was like, boy, this movie ends so well. And it's like, it's not a big action ending. It's like all dialogue scenes between characters. And it's just like, who, who, who would have done that? Except, you know, people kind of taking risks and kind of skating under the radar as, as Francis Lawrence said, like, uh, Warner Brothers didn't really care what they were doing because they, it was like uh, regime changes. Yeah, um, and so that was just so, kind of they were too far into production for the new team to 
to like do much about it so they just let him make a movie which, which made like the regime change actually made them be in the rare and enviable position of being a high budget movie that this that the producers that weren't paying or the studio rather wasn't yeah. paying any attention to so they yeah, got exactly. to do uh, a lot of stuff uh, but that actually brings me to one of those fascinating uh stories that uh, that Fran- i think it was francis lawrence maybe akiva goldsman told is that warner brothers told them like one of the the few directions they had was that they wanted this to be a PG-13 movie. And so Francis Lawrence and Akiva Goldsman followed to the letter the the guidelines on language, on nudity, on violence, on blood. And apparently, the sto- as the story goes, uh, uh, five minutes into the MPAA reviewing the movie, they put down the notepads and said, this is an R-rated movie. Um, and apparently that's because uh, it's for the same reason, because I think, Tyler, you and I talked about on one of our marathon co- commentaries, why why is The Conjuring rated R uh, when it doesn't have any language or, or right. blood or anything? And apparently with the MPAA, when, once you get into religious horror and once you get into demons, there's a, a, a real quick uh, uh, knee-jerk reaction to call that an mm. R-rated movie. I don't know if that's because the MPAA themselves are uh superstitious religious folk or if going back to the roots of the Hayes code being a catholic thing if they're if that's still the audience they have in mind if they're like oh people who care about mpaa ratings are going to consider this a uh a movie that should be rated r because it's it's got hell and demons and stuff in it but that was a really interesting story uh because i've seen the movie so many times i never really thought about the fact that it doesn't have much blood and it doesn't have, or at least not human blood. Uh, I mean, Gavin Rossdale's face gets pulverized, but he's got black demon blood, so it's okay. Um, right. But it doesn't have any nudity or 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 language uh, beyond, I think there's the standard, like, one fuck in the movie. Um, uh, I thought that was a really fascinating story. I don't know. I've talked too much. Kyle, what, what were your takeaways from this? Yeah, I, I like... I mean, the movie is really great. I, I am not a huge Akiva Goldsman fan just at his work. I have to say, like, I think a lot of his screenplays are, or just the stuff that he's worked on has been very hack to me. And it just seems like he keeps getting to do it because he's been around a long time. I and mean, so his, kind of like, uh, like in Batman forever, when he decides that like, Oh, two face has multiple personalities. So he'll just only ever say we <laughs> instead of right. I that'll cover it. Right. Yeah yeah just just stuff like that it drives me nuts and he like going through his his imdb like writer's credit that you've got a beautiful mind and like one other like acclaimed movie and then there's a bunch of garbage for the most part and so it's just it's anyway i'm not a big fan of his i did find him really kind of interesting in the panel though Uh, i i have to say that i was like kind of like oh i don't really want to hear him talk like francis lawrence and keanu reeves i'm there for them but like i was just like whatever he'll be there um but I actually thought that his perspective was really kind of interesting in that he was, you know, uh, you know, he was the kind of the, the one shepherding the project for the longest. Um, and, and like, you know, there were really good scripts and it kind of just became things. And there were, there was going to be another version of, of Constantine with a different director and a different, I forget who he said that the star was going to be uh, Nicholas Cage, uh, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which would have been a completely he did, different. Movie. Did he say who the director was too? I don't, know. I I don't remember, remember now. Yeah. But it was going to be Nicholas Cage, but it was, yeah, it was going to be different people. And, um, and so it was kind of interesting to hear him talk from that perspective as like, you know, the one, um, kind of just making sure that this thing got made and like, um, and so I, I have to say that I, I like came out kind of, I, I still don't think he has written good movies, but, um, <laughs> um, or directed, for that matter but anyway um 
but it oh, was, it's say, cool. sorry uh, i looked it up uh tarsim tarsim singh oh that's right yeah with it was Nicholas tarsim. cage that would have been um, cool which that would have been a crazy especially at that time right because that was right around the time the fall came out uh i, I guess it's 2005 around there yeah obviously yeah. 15 years ago <laughs> right um, <laughs> yeah so the fall was a couple years after that anyway doesn't matter um but yeah so i came away my biggest takeaway was like oh i akiva goldsman is you know, he, he shepherded this project in a, in a way that I uh, appreciate because it got it to the screen in a way that, you know, could build the, the fan base that it has. Uh, and he also was very gracious about giving Francis Lawrence credit for one of the movie's most interesting ideas, which is the way it depicts hell, which mm-hmm. apparently was pretty generic in his screenplay. And Francis Lawrence came up with this idea, uh, not only the way hell looks like as if an atomic bomb is com- constantly like uh, blowing, uh, you know, through it. But the idea that hell has the same geography of where you are. So, so when yeah. when when Ken Reeves goes to hell in an apartment next to the 101 freeway, he comes to in hell alongside the 101 freeway where there's it's like falling apart. There's all these like like crashed cars, and he has to like get to where he's going by walking through a hell version of the Los Angeles that he's that he's in. Uh, that's a really it's a really cool idea that um, we see hell two, two or three times in the movie. It's been a while since I rewatched it, but um, the, uh, yeah, Francis Lawrence took credit and to Akiva Goldsman's credit, he did not object. He said, "Yeah, that was a great idea that Francis Lawrence had." <laughs> yeah, and and again, Keanu Reeves was very humble and you know gracious and. Just, yeah, and yeah. like calling out Keanu Reeves, calling out like the camera operator by name, like he like literally right? wanted to like give credit to 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 everyone. I think that was that was super uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, and then he mentioned I had forgotten he was mentioning the cast, and he was like Rachel, who I'd worked with before, and I was like, oh, Chain Reaction. <laughs> I, was, I had to like look it up. I was like, when did Keanu Reeves and Rachel Weiss work together before? Oh, and I guess funny. they were in Chain Reaction. I never actually saw Chain Reaction. We but had that fine. tape, but I never watched it. It was always just one that was sitting on top of our like stack of VHSs, and I was just like, "Why did my dad buy this?" Oh well, I just never never watched it. Probably a, a nice previewed price uh, from a video store. Uh, but when the um, in that movie, uh, also um, another cool thing that Keanu Reeves did. This is what I feel like Kevin Smith just like nerding out here. But uh, when was it? It was Frosty was the moderator there. Yeah, too, Frosty right? moderated that one. He was talking about how there are no other DC characters in this version of constantly is not a crossover. And Ken Reeves is like, what are you talking about? There's midnight, there's Chaz. He started like listing minor, like hellblazer characters that made an appearance in Constantine. Like not like just off the top of his head. This movie's he made this movie over 15 years ago and he was able to call out the names of, of minor characters that make appearances uh, in the movie. Uh, again, seems like a cool guy. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I wanted to, use this opportunity to talk about actually a couple panels okay. that I watched. Um, and I recognize like we can't spend a lot of time on, on everything, especially since David, you've watched so many, but uh, so I'm going to, so I'm going to take two and I'm going to put them together, even though they are two separate panels. Uh, so, you know, it's been 15 years since uh, Constantine, but it has been 30 years since Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I watched this one too. Which one did you watch? Oh, the uh, Sunday one. First TMNT film, 30th anniversary. Okay, with the producer and the writer, right? The writer, yeah. Okay, so I watched that one, then I also watched the cast reunion, which I enjoyed, but uh, as one might expect, it's not quite as interesting. Um, well, sorry, it's interesting for some, but from the from like the creative standpoint, like one thing, like my for, big takeaway... Who, who was on the cast reunion? Uh, they had 
uh, our, our one of our favorites, Josh uh, Pice. Josh, Josh um, uh, Judith, I never know how you say her last name, but she played April. Hogue? Uh, uh, Hogue. Yeah, I would say her. Yeah, name. and um, this is something I don't say very often. She looks great. It's been 30 years and she looks great. Yeah. You know, uh, Elias Katia shows up, doesn't look as good. Oh, <laughs> looks really? kind of haggard, but at the same time, like it's just, you know, for someone, especially I'd say someone like him, uh, who has been in so many things and things that have a little bit more prestige to them, you know, like uh, cr- uh, the the Cronenberg crash and Zodiac and that sort of thing, you know. And you Exotica, could, directed and, by friend of the show, Adam McGoyan. That's right. Best friend of the show, Adam McGoyan. <laughs> um, I know I love him as, and he loves us, um, but he you know, it, it's so easy to look back at something successful though. It may be to look at something like, Oh yeah, I was in that turtles movie and the third one as well. And it's like, he could have looked at it as just a payday or a springboard, but no, he, he seemed to genuinely like look back on it as like such a fun time. And so I appreciated that. Uh, but at the same time, it's just, you know, cast reminiscing and enjoying and enjoying talking with each other again, which is, it's fine. It's fun to watch. Um, but the, the panel that you watched, David, uh, is the one that, that struck me. And one thing, my, probably my big takeaway from it is it's just so fascinating in retrospect, you know, Ninja Turtles is like one of the biggest brands of the last 35 years. And yet every, understandably, I would say every step of the way took a lot of convincing because like Ninja Turtles, why don't you get out of my office? Uh, you know, whether it be and also making the, it live action. Yes. Yeah. Like if they'd said, we want to do an animated movie, I think people would, would have been much more on board, but like making it live action uh, and the idea that it wasn't the, I forget if it was the writer or producer, but pointed out that like there was a time where Ninja Turtles was known to kids and adults weren't aware of it yet, as opposed to Disney, which is just sort of a, a property that had been around for, you know, a, a company that had been around for a while. And the adults themselves were sort of aware of what Disney was doing because it was doing something when they were kids. Ninja Turtles, however, just sort of burst onto the scene randomly and simultaneously between the toys and the cartoon. And so there were some parents, many of whom like, worked in Hollywood. And so they had no idea how big this property was for kids. And so it actually took a lot more effort to get the movie greenlit than one might expect, given that like, this was 1990 Ninja Turtles had been around for a few years. It was a huge, it was a huge part of my life as a little six year old. Uh, but for adults, they're just like, that when they first heard it being pitched to them, some of them were like, uh, I have no idea what this is. Get out of my office. Um, and well, yeah, so it's I mean, just 1990s when the movie came out, but like, these, sure. These people started pitching it in like 87. When, when did the, when the comics started in like 86, right? 80, 85, 86, I think maybe even a little earlier than that, but, uh, but yeah. And then the cartoon started in 87, 88. Um, but, uh, but the, so yeah. Oh yeah. They said the, the cartoon started airing in late 87, but the mm-hmm. toy line didn't come out until summer of 88. And that was like kind of what broke it 
free for them yeah. that uh, suddenly they can point to look how many toys they're selling uh, and yeah. made it easier to get the movie made. Oh, undoubtedly. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was just, of course it's, I mean, it's on one hand, it's not surprising, but it's the kind of thing that in retrospect uh, it is one of the brands that has stuck around. Like there's, there are kids that are much younger than we are that know Ninja Turtles. Like that's surprise as opposed to something like, you know, He-Man, which people aren't really, you know, younger kids aren't really familiar with. It didn't really translate, but Ninja Turtles did. And so just listening to these two guys sort of reminisce about uh, like even, even as they were pitching it, they were, when it was happening, they still seemed somehow they believed in it and were surprised by its success at the same time. So, uh, I, so I enjoyed hearing them reminisce about it. And it was interesting that the writer only wrote the first one, Whereas the mm-hmm. producer, the producer signed a three picture deal. So he produced all three. The writer only yeah. wrote the first one. His argument was that uh, once he'd written the first one, he was able to ask for more money for the second one and they didn't yeah. want to pay him more money. So they hired <laughs> yeah. people they could pay, you know, what he got paid for the first one. And there's such a tonal shift between the first and the second one. Like the first one is, is it feels more, much more like the co- the comic book. Uh, it's, Raphael says, damn, he says, damn. Uh, and it's just visually darker and it's kind of a grody looking New York. You get to the second one and suddenly it's like, all right, well, we can't risk anything here. So everything's a lot more cartoonish and goofy and that sort of thing. Yeah. We, um, I didn't watch these panels, but my, uh, when I was home the last time, which seems like it's going to be forever before I'm home again, but back to Colorado, um, I watched both the first one and the second one with my brother. Um, and the first one, which I hadn't seen in forever, I hadn't seen either in forever. Um, I was, we were both like, Oh wow, this, this movie's really good. Like, Holy, Holy cow. This really holds yeah. up. And then like 10 minutes into secret of the years, I was like, Oh, this, this movie's real bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember a lot of the stuff like where like, uh, um, uh, Michelangelo Michelangelo is not allowed to use nunchucks in right. the second one because nunchucks were outlawed in the UK. So there was a whole country that they weren't allowed to show the movie in. And in the cartoon as well, they pivoted away from nunchucks into yeah, like, a, like a, a grappling or hook or something. Grappling like hook, yeah. yeah. Um, he did a lot of climbing. That's not true. He yeah. essentially used it as like, oh, look, see, I'm, I'm, it's a, it's wrapping around this person's foot and I'm tripping them. Yeah, and and the idea behind that was like, well, kids can make nunchucks out of stuff, but it's like kids can make a bow staff out of anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody cared about that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, not to mention like, it's like, well, I don't have a sigh, but I do have this sharp kitchen knife. This will be right. fine. So, um, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you just made, reminded me that I watched I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Secret of Views a lot as a kid. I've seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three exactly once because by that by the time it came out, I was ten, eleven years old. I was like already aging out of out of it, and it sucks, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And so I, I watched it just to sort of complete the trilogy, and I've never never revisited it. They go to they're like samurai, right? Yeah, they go to like they time travel to like feudal Japan. Okay. Um, and then I didn't watch, then in 2007, there was an, a, a computer animated TMNT, which I didn't see. And I heard, okay, things about, then they did sort of the live action Michael Bay produced one, which I didn't see the first one, but I did see the second one because a friend wanted to see 
Biba, oh, a friend of the show, Adam Rebitaro, <laughs> who just talking about who makes me laugh. I, that's mean, but uh, but he <laughs> he was it, in a hundred percent. If you know him, you're like, I got it, I got it. Uh, but he was in town, and so uh, he and I and a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, went to see. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows because we wanted to see Bebop and Rocksteady, who incidentally were the be- easily the best part of that movie. Anyway, moving on. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to. Uh, I'm glad we um, we're very smart as movie podcasters that we started with all the movie ones. So uh, maybe we should keep going with just movie pod movie panels for now before we, we transition into other stuff. Um, I don't know if anybody else watched the Charlize Theron spotlight thing i was i was interested but i i didn't get a chance to watch it but i might actually go back and watch it it's it's not i mean it's a one-on-one thing and it's only like 35 minutes long Um, okay it's i mean i i I like her and i like her the same as i liked her before uh it is because i've seen her on comic-con panels in the past she i just uh you know what to expect and I, i don't know did you watch it kyle I watched like the first 20 minutes or so. I was watching it ostensibly for um, that was during a work day. We were watching to see if there was any, she was going to break any news. And when it became clear that it was just kind of like a retrospect, which is fine. I had other things I needed to do, but um, I like Shirley's a lot. And uh, uh, it was really nice to kind of just get some time to talk or, or to listen to her speak about just all sorts of things in her career, because she's had such a fascinating career. Um, you you know, like she was in what was that movie? Two days in the valley. Yeah, that, like, that was like her big. Uh, yeah, um, and and yeah, and then look at her now, and she's like the action star. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. she's she's been in three. You know, not maybe big. Uh, Mad Max was huge, but and she's going to do a sequel. But um, like uh, she's had these big action roles in the last few years, and it's like she fits it so well. Like she just yeah. it, like owns that, and like. Yeah, I think I think she's great. She's one of my favorite actors. Uh, did anyone else watch the David S. Goyer panel, The Art of Adapting Comics to the Screen? No, but everything I know about him makes me not want to listen to a fucking word he says. Oh, I don't know anything about it. What, what do you know about him? Oh, he uh, he doesn't like his audience. Um, hey, boy. He, he was on a panel uh, several years ago. It was him and then the guys who write now they've written like all the Avengers movies, but at that point they were writing the captain America movies. Um, and they were just talking, you know, it was just a panel somewhere about, um, comic book movies and all this stuff. And Goyer kind of went off about like, and this is a room full of comic book fans, but he like went off about, he's like, um, who, who knows who Martian Manhunter is? Nobody who's gotten laid in the last 10 years. Like, and this is, yeah. it's like, what are you talking about? This is your whole thing. And yeah. so anytime his name is on a comic book franchise, I'm like, I just hate him. He's, he's yeah. the, he's the Akiva Goldsman of, no, I, I actually like him way, way less than I like Akiva Goldsman. Huh. I would say, you know, it's interesting. I didn't know that about him. Oh, go ahead. I feel like, uh, that happened not Kyle, I believe you were over at my house. We were recording about, I think, No Holds Barred. And that that had just come out, That uh, him talking about uh, his fans. And you and I talked at length about it. And I was just aghast that, like, yeah. not, like if, if you have that thought, that's one thing. If you express it in a one-on-one interview, that's another thing. But to say, like, you're really not reading the room here. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating to me, like, that he could be that uh, dense. But I wonder, I mean, given, because I watched this panel, I wonder if it's something internalized, because he clearly knows his shit when it comes to comics. He, he, hmm. he, he 
he he was able to talk at length, and a lot of his complaints were about um, uh, in early in the in the pre Marvel Studios comic movie boom. Um, he was talking a lot of shit about execu- movie executives who pretended to be fans of things, and then uh, but actually didn't know a thing. He told a story about uh, writing a. Um, uh, a Doctor Strange movie and being asked to take the magic out of it. There's too much magic in this movie. Can you take the magic out of it? Um, uh, um, but uh, yeah, he had some other interesting stories. He clearly is very proud of Blade. That's uh, right, the thing sure. I think he's uh, most proud of. Um, uh, but I like to, I don't know if uh, apparently he has a caustic uh, personality in general. I liked his ability, his willingness to talk shit because he he talked about um, the Crow City of Angels and how um, he was young and new to this. And uh, if what happened on that movie happened now, he would have just quit. Uh, but he, when he was approached to write Crow City of Angels, he said, uh, "I think," he said, "I'll do this, but I think I think if we try and make this crow too much like Brandon Lee, it's going to be." seen as disrespectful or or crass or cheap i want to change the crow in this version i want to do a female crow just to just to completely like wipe the slate and and sort of and that's the the treatment he wrote and the initial the producers uh the movie's producers were on board but then once it got kicked up the chain at miramax miramax said no we need to do this with uh someone who is more like brandon lee and uh um he said uh david escoyer says he considered uh the Crow City of Angels to be a terrible experience, and he wishes he had not uh, written that movie. He wishes he had yeah. quit. It's it is possible that since he since that story, which is a few years ago, like who's to, like people can grow, people can evolve, and maybe sure. he came to appreciate what he was doing more, uh, being more inundated uh, in it. Who's to say? But uh, but yeah. So maybe I'll give the panel a watch and, and give him a give him a chance. Uh, did write Dark watch- City, so there's that. Sure, there absolutely. Uh, did anyone besides me watch the Guillermo del Toro and Scott Cooper panel? They're promoting no. their new uh, horror movie, Antlers. Kyle? I didn't watch that. I have seen the movie Antlers, which I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about yet, but that was one of the last like pre-screenings I got to go to. And then they mo- moved the movie so far that it's like, who knows if I'll ever be able to write about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I won't ask you if it's good because that would probably definitely be a uh, uh, yeah, that's breach. an NBA, NBA breach <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, but um, uh, yeah, the panel the the panel was 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 interesting. I'm not um, I'm not the hugest Scott Cooper fan, but I do recognize there's something there. Like he's completely self taught, like not didn't go to film school at all, and in some ways, I think at least in the way he talks about movie making he seems i'm trying to think of an example i wish i'd taken notes and written down it was like the way that he talks about movies makes him sound amateurish his the finished products of his movies are clearly competent he clearly has a point of view um uh but but um i'm torn like a movie like hostels which i think with the sound off it's a beautiful movie great cast great things to look at it's one of the most more superficial and dumb to the point of being insulting movies that I've seen in the last five years or so. Uh, And so I have that, that push and pull uh, with it. And so I'm not sure uh, how I will feel about, about antlers, but um, uh, 
uh, Guillermo del Toro is always always fun. Uh, we learned that Guillermo del Toro during quarantine is watching three movies a day. That's his like he's like I'm trying to get I'm trying to trying to get to three movies a day. That's his quarantine <laughs> goal. And uh, God, I wish I could do that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, would be, yeah, that would be nice if you had the time. <laughs> for yeah. that. Well, I don't want to, um, since no one else talked about it, I won't linger on that one. Uh, I'm trying to stick to other movie ones. This is a movie and TV one, but there was one called Women Rocking Hollywood, supporting female-helmed film and TV. Hmm. It was mostly TV-based, but it did have Gina Prince-Blythewood, uh, uh, by the wood. Sorry, I always add an extra L in there. Gina Prince-Blythewood, um, who directed The Old Guard. Uh, I'll point this out just because the, the this isn't it doesn't have to do with the content of the uh, the panel, but it was structured differently than these other panels where there's one moderator and all the panelists at once, which is the way an actual Comic Con panel happens. This uh, embracing the uh, Comic Con at home uh, format was just a it was there were four panelists, but it was four like 15 minute interviews back to back mm. with each mm. had their own uh, introduction and it was just a one-on-one um I, again i most of it was tv stuff so i kind of did just like tune out and do other stuff until yeah. it got to gina prince by the wood uh and then she yeah i talked about how she's a fan of action movies and the idea that uh people are still often uh not just surprised that women can direct like a straightforward action movie like the old guard but surprised that women want to <laughs> like that's how deep the sort of assumptions that, that hmm. the, the that the industry makes goes is that uh um it's it's in a lot of cases it's not people saying oh no she can't do that she's a woman it's not even considering that a woman would want to direct a movie with uh with with martial arts and and, and stuff like that uh i guess that was kind of interesting let's see we well, we talked about bill and ted face the music um i watched i love the um, Comic-Con panel for the low-budget sci-fi movie you never actually hear of after the panel. Uh, <laughs> sure, <you yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, I've been to a number of those. And so I watched the panel for a movie called G-Lock that uh, stars Casper Van Dien and John Rhys-Davies. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> and oh, and uh, what's his name from True Blood? Stephen Moyer, is that his name? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I've already forgotten what this movie's about. It's a space thing. <laughs> um what I can tell you is that John Reese Davies is delightful and a total uh total nerd both about like drama. Like he's got like framed posters of like old timey English stage actors in his home. But he's also like a a filmmaking nerd. Like he mm-hmm. they told us the, this is the one thing and we'll move on. The one thing I really took away is that um he asked the director what kind of lenses he was using and he didn't approve of the lenses. And he was like, wait here and went to his trunk where he just has a bunch of film lenses. <laughs> and then so it, during, and, and so they told that story about it being uh, on camera or being like, while they were making the movie that happening. And then during the panel, he like, Johnny Civis picks up his laptop and shows the shelf that he has just like rows of lenses. He's just like into mm. cameras. I get like film cameras, I guess he seems like a really interesting uh, guy. And he's like, nearing 80 at this point and yeah. still so full of life i'm uh, i'm looking at the imdb page for g lock and i'm like even even in a in a comic-con at home situation i don't know why this thing has a panel like <laughs> there there are so many i mean we get i'm sure kyle is the same with you we get so many emails 
for like low budget sci-fi and horror why did this one break through right you know why not invasion earth which they're emailing me about constantly <laughs> uh you know uh so it's it's all this is yeah i'm well now i have to watch g-lock obviously yeah I mean, um, it's, it's comic-con worthy yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and then That's, uh uh, the final movie-related panel um, that I watched uh, was the last panel that I watched, um, and I can't remember what it was. They changed the name when they originally announced it as the Art of Film and TV Posters, but then it was it, it got changed. If you're looking for it in the on the YouTube thing, it's now called like Film Poster Illustration or something. Mm. Mm. But it had um, the one you've heard of, Drew Struzan. He was on the yeah. panel, and a bunch of other people that I uh, haven't heard of, but are uh incredibly talented and and they um it felt like and maybe this is one of the interesting things about this being a zoom call <laughs> instead of an actual panel is that at a certain point it stopped feeling like they were playing to an audience and it just felt like a bunch of men and women who illustrate posters for a living just like having a like talk and shop and yeah. it, it, it was a really really interesting uh stuff and they talked at length about how like the way that there's been there was a dip for a while in demand for illustrated uh film posters and it's kind of come back and also they talked about how there's this whole other market of like alternative posters like mondo and stuff and the idea that like for an industry like a a, a job title film you know film poster illustrator that's existed for a century or whatever it's only in recent years that people start to collect like no artists by name who do this sort of thing uh, outside of Drew Struzan um, uh, and, and like collect those, those people. Um, so that was a really interesting one. And they, and they uh, um, uh, showed some examples of like more recent illustrated posters, like the once upon a time in Hollywood uh, poster <laughs> that has that like uh, throwback feel uh, to it. And um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Did either of you, either of you watch this one? No, but it sounds very interesting. Yeah. I especially like what you're talking about where it can this this format can allow more of a casual uh aspect and suddenly it's just people like, you know, uh comparing notes and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Uh that, and I think it was uh it was because there was I mean, there was like a person who was designated the moderator. Yeah. But he he does this too. He's the guy who did the Rise of Skywalker poster. And so because they had a moderator who was one of them, <laughs> uh, uh, there wasn't, uh, there stopped being any uh, impulse to keep the audience uh, mm -hmm. pandered to. And instead they just talked. Those are usually, uh, those are usually uh, like my favorite type of panels to, to see. Um, and then uh, I, having been on certainly not, uh, well, I guess, no, I guess I was on a panel at Comic-Con, but like, um, but having been on other panels in a much smaller capacity with, uh, sometimes it turns into that conversation and maybe the audience gets frustrated that we're not really acknowledging that they're there, but it's like, but it's like, this is so much deeper and hopefully more interesting and engaging than just, here's the question. Everyone take a uh, turn to answer. Okay. But like, and it's, it's only going to be superficial, but every once in a while, even, even in person, a panel can can take on that quality of people who all respect one another just talking about their experiences and struggles and that uh that tends to be the kind of thing that i like which is why i am often so frustrated by panels at comic-con because 
they're only ever going to go, they, they usually are only ever going to go so deep. And so I just, after a while I had to start managing my own expectations. Um, so when it does happen, it's a, it's a, a, a nice, nice surprise. Yeah. I, I, you know, looking at the, the larger list of, of panels and I actually, this is one of the benefits of it being online this year is that they're all, they're there. You can just keep watching them. Like if yeah. you, mm-hmm. you could, if you wanted to over the next few weeks, watch every panel that they did, which is insane, but you it could do that. More than that. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Um, there were a lot. There were a lot. Um, but it's always, you know, other than that very first year when I went to that Doctor Who panel, I, every year I've gone to Comic-Con has been to cover it. So I'm always kind of, I don't have the luxury for the most part of getting to go and watch those type of panels, which are just yeah. people talking about their craft, unless it's in between other yeah. things that I'm going to, you know, you know, for work kind of thing. And so like, those are the things that I want to go back to um, and, and check out is, 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 you know, like the Robert Rodriguez, um, director's panel and then the mm-hmm. distributors and at all panel i think those are really interesting um but uh there was one more movie panel that i kind okay. of mentioned earlier that i did watch which was the new mutants panel which was right. such a waste of time <laughs> <laughs> i i started watching it for a few minutes and then i uh got bored and uh walked away oh boy it was i i mentioned that you could I found out as I was watching it that there was a different link that you could scrub to just the footage because at a certain point it became clear that they, that could have been a big news panel if they'd have been like, thanks everybody. We know there's been a crazy journey for this, but now it's on Hulu tonight or something like that. Like so many people or it's on demand tonight or whatever people would have lost their mind. But the fact that they're like on the same day that Disney was like, Hey, we're going to move Mulan and avatar and like all these other movies to, way down the the line they were like we're gonna have new mutants is going to come out in august 28th like is it like i don't know if this will <laughs> yeah. ever come out yeah. um which is weird because i actually like i want to see this movie i think that i mean a just because of the weight but also um it looks like they're actually still keeping like the horror elements like who knows if they've like softened them or whatever or what the rating is going to be but the fact that it still looks pretty scary has me kind of excited but the fact that also the fact that it's like they're just jerking us around man like that was such a waste i'm excited for it partially because i feel like i mean it's it's pretty much guaranteed to just be a one shot right like i mean i guess it could be popular but what does that even mean right now exactly and so it's just like just this weird little anomaly that we've all been aware of and kind of waiting for and then it shows up and even if it's amazing and even if people love it there's not going to be another one. So it's just like this odd little, uh, this odd little leftover of like mm-hmm. the Fox X-Men era. And um, yeah, so I think that's why I'm interested is that like I can watch it and not be committed beyond uh, the two yeah. hours that it takes to watch it. Yeah. It seems like it could be fun, but, um, and I was, I was sort of like pleased because they showed a lot more of the, you know, like the effects and kind of stuff that I wasn't expecting, but that was a that was a bust of a panel. It it started out and also like I didn't watch this one, but the Star Trek Discovery panel was like the one that began the day on the Thursday, and they they had technical issues, and so it was kind of uh, like, oh, is this going to be a, a laughing stock because it's like yeah. the, the live pro, like whatever it got flagged on YouTube because of copyright. <laughs> CBS's <laughs> copyright bot flagged its own thing. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, this might be a bad weekend. It ended up being good i think overall but um it's like that john fogarty lawsuit all those years ago (laughs) you sound too much like yourself (laughs) um 
Well, uh, I have a bunch of comics panels and stuff that I could uh, uh, run through. Um, but I wanted to... Well, actually, I'll start with one that is kind of movie-related. Um, but it's going to... We're going to get into a subgenre of Comic-Con panel, which is the panel that purports to be about one thing, but is actually a commercial for something that's coming oh, out. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And I'll say, sometimes those are great. Like the Bugs Bunny 80th anniversary panel. It's... Uh, they were advertising. There's a, a Blu-ray coming out that's like the best of Bugs. Oh, yeah. Uh, Looney mm-hmm. Tunes. Um, but despite them pushing that repeatedly, you had uh, like true Warner Brothers Looney Tunes experts, uh, including Leonard Moulton, just geeking out. And uh, Billy West and other people who have done like voices mm-hmm. um, geeking out about, about Looney Tunes, about Bugs Bunny in particular, showing a bunch of old uh old clips it was a really great like historical like it honestly it uh it might have done the job it set out to do of convincing me to buy this bugs bunny (laughs) blu-ray when it when it comes out um so uh that was actually a really good one on the other hand there was i hate this (laughs) the 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 name of the panel is image comics spotlight so i'm thinking oh get an update on what's next for deadly class are they going to finish any new issues of nowhere men no they've got one title coming out the entire hour was about that one title that's coming out it's like why are you calling it image comic spotlight then <laughs> why not say such a i can uh, crossover is what the i think the title is called why not say like uh crossover from image comics you can still put your name in the panels so people know what it is right. don't call it image comic spotlight and then just talk about one image comic that no one's even read yet now, here's a question, because obviously this is a different way of watching uh, these panels. If you were sitting at, at Comic-Con and hearing this panel, you would just sit there and then only by the end do you realize, oh, they, they were only talking about this one thing. Did you find, were you tempted to skip ahead and see if they were, uh, started talking about anything else? I might have been, like, like I said, the... And this is actually kind of uh, what happens at Comic-Con, too. If I'm in a panel and there's a part that I'm bored about, I tend to just go onto Twitter. <laughs> which, sure. um, yeah. which, by the way, in preparation for our episode last week, where, Tyler, where we talked about like our favorite, favorite Comic-Con memories, I went back through a lot of my tweets from Comic-Con's past and realized I tweet so much more than I normally do sure. while I'm at Comic-Con. And also, uh, I'm especially seven, eight years ago, I was, I'm not a, that wasn't as funny as I thought I was. There's some oh, sure. <laughs> there's a lot of dumb jokes. Uh, a lot of them are just like mean. Like I thought yeah. that was funny just to be mean. Um, <laughs> Can we talk for a second about there, there was um, a news, was it Variety? Somebody put out a thing about like the impact of Comic-Con this year. And, um, you know, v- video views are one thing or whatever, but like um, social media imprints were 93% down than they normally oh, sure. are. And I think it's just because because it's, there's nothing kind of there's nothing I guess exciting about it for lack of a better word like it was just like a weekend of things you could watch on YouTube. Um, it was uh, yeah. and and almost like a guarantee across the board, especially after that New Mutants thing. There's not going to be any new things. There's not going to be a surprise. These were these were taped a month ago. There's nothing yeah. big like that's going to happen. So I think that I think that's you know, to get back to the point that we were talking about earlier, that's, that's the big thing that this one didn't do was that like, it didn't do anything to kind of engender like excitement in itself. 
past that first day once you realized oh this is what this is this isn't going to be the same type of thing as comic-con this is just kind of like a celebration of these things which is great but yeah. it's not it it doesn't drive the kind of you know traffic uh or, or uh, you know social media imprints uh yeah yeah i guess there's not uh yeah uh, I, I don't know you watched um some stuff at the tcm at home festival obviously we yeah. talked about on the podcast uh were you tweeting during that at all uh i did a few times yeah um, i, mean, I tried to be as few. respectful to the movies as possible you know so i wasn't tweeting during the movies even though i was just at home and i could have done that but I, I tried to be like okay you know like i would t- i would text um you know scott or i would text my friend mike who i would usually see these movies with at the festival in between yeah. well, were we excited okay let's go and then you know like put my phone down for an hour and a half or whatever because um, as much as i could but yeah i went I wasn't tweeting. I guess because that's a TCM. I mean, you were watching on the app, but like that's a broadcast thing. There is like a chronology and an immediacy yeah. to it. Whereas this, it feels weird to tweet about. I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously, uh, our friend Terrence Johnson, um, notwithstanding, most people don't tweet about TV shows that they're watching on a delay as much as they do while they're airing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I always give Terrence trouble about the fact that his he'll t- he'll tweet about some show that aired three weeks ago because he happens to be watching it that night. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Um, a couple other um, mixes and matches on, or, or hits and misses, what I meant, hits, hits and misses on the uh, panel as advertisement thing. You'd think I'd love a uh, Legacy of George Romero panel, but mm. um, the book that's coming out is sort of like completing one of his stories. So it's not even really like, a biography of him yeah um they had his widow on the panel which is which is interesting but also i mean she seems like a really nice uh lady who had no idea who he was when she met met him uh which is kind of a fun story but also with having the widow there kind of keeps any critic you know you can't be critical it's just like right. yeah sort of uh the one thing i did lower time sir i'm sure zombie fans and romero fans and horror fans uh know already but i i never realized what the of the of the dead films what the chronology is like obviously they take place in the year they came out but as right. far as distance from zombie outbreak mm. Mm. go so it go and they, they said i think i committed it to memory it goes night diary dawn survival land day that's oh, wow the, uh, that's the order i don't think i ever um, knew that yeah because wow. uh, i haven't seen all of those um but uh but but yeah, most of them, like Night and Diary, both take place like about the same time as the right. outbreak. Dawn and Survival take place sort of in the immediate aftermath and months after because Dawn lasts for a long time. Um, and then Land of the Dead is supposed to be like three years post-outbreak and Day of the Dead is supposed to be like five years post-outbreak. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Day of the Dead is like, there's nothing left. Which, yes. You know, yeah. Which yes. is part of what, you know, it's charm or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I describe that movie as charming. But. Yeah, maybe the least charming of the bunch. Uh, yeah. Don't ever if you've not seen Survival of the Dead, feel free to skip it. It is bad. It is a truly not good movie. Which one is Survival? Is that the one with the warring farmers? <laughs> yeah, it's the warring farmers one. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I, I saw it and I remember being like, I get what you're doing, but at the same time, like, it's frustrating because it came out like I, clearly he was able to get it made because right. of enthusiasm about zombie movies. But by the time he's telling it, it's like, this doesn't actually bring anything new to the conversation. Like I know that you started the conversation and good for you, yeah. but 
you should have adapted this into something a little bit more groundbreaking because it, it yeah. really is not. I mean, it was kind of amazing that he got to make Land of the Dead when he did, and that was a universal yeah. movie that came out, and it was like, you know, he, he's getting to make a big budget, you know, relatively yeah. large budget studio zombie movie, and I loved it, but it was like, yeah. didn't didn't blow up the way that maybe he was hoping or like fans of his was hoping. Yeah. So it was sort of just like, and then when he did Diary of the Dead, and I was like, oh, it's found footage, like, and it yeah. made me sick in the theater. <laughs> Because uh, it's yeah. so jostly. Um, speaking of Land, Land of the Dead, yeah. Tyler, were you gonna were you gonna say the same thing I was gonna say? Well, yeah, probably. Which is, Tyler, you and I saw Land of the Dead in lieu of you having a bachelor party. Yeah, you and we I and all your like groomsmen and, and our roommate uh, <laughs> went. Did we even like get din- we got dinner first, maybe? Or well, we I think we did. We do it after the. Uh, Oh, after, after the rehearsal the, dinner. The rehearsal dinner. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we all went and saw Land of the Dead the night before my wedding, and uh, I loved it. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it, maybe not necessarily the movie itself. I thought the movie was was fine, occasionally really good. Uh, but I was just like, I, I was so excited that a yeah. dead movie was coming out, and it's like, yeah. And then that same weekend, uh, delightfully, uh, Mister and Mrs. Married. Smith came out, oh, yeah. and so we saw that on the honeymoon. Um, you remember uh, our our. Uh, former roommate and composer of the battleship, uh, the chilling battleship retention themes on Cole Pasek. Not a fan of Land of the Dead. Is that did not care for it, and uh, my yeah. friends didn't really either. Uh, and so just, just me and you. Yeah, and and when I was talking about what, I, like at this point, like I was, I was saying like, you know, I think this movie might be uh, like a, a criticism of like American foreign policy. It was in 2005, and and when I was telling my friends, you know, who were old friends of mine from Denver, uh, you know, not necessarily movie people and not accustomed to me being as much of a movie person as I was. Um, so I started giving reasons as to why I thought that. And then like one of them said, he wasn't trying to be mean, but he goes, I think you're probably overthinking the zombie movie. And in retrospect, it's like, it's a George Romero zombie movie. Right, I'm yeah. not overthinking it. Yeah, definitely not. Like, and so uh, I wish I could go, you know, some people would go back and kill Hitler. I'd go back and defend myself. Dunk on your uh, friends. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's the ethical use of time travel. Is just go back and yeah. dunk on people who are <laughs> shitty to you. Yeah. Um, so moving on, one of my favorite uh, comics panels, possibly my favorite comics panel that I watched was The Wonderful, Horrible World of EC Comics, uh, which is where... I was curious, but I... It comes I, from and yeah. the tales and all sorts of other stuff. And that's, it really is just, it was just like a history of EC Comics, but that's, it's really fascinating history. EC stands for Educational Comics, and they started doing educational comics and Bible stories. Um, and then when the original owner, something Gaines, I can't remember the his name i think was it william gaines no william is the son so the the first guy who owned it when he passed away he sort of uh his son bill gaines uh fulfilled his wishes of taking over the company even though he didn't like what they were doing and decided to have fun uh with it by uh making these uh, uh things that got burned and protested and 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 uh these really graphic uh and weird comics and also bill gaines was and most of the people who worked at these comics at the time were um uh uh devout leftists and there were a lot of like social justice issues and also like uh, uh, you know, pro labor issues <laughs> that like came up in the comics that were really, uh, really fascinating. But uh, one thing that they kept um, 
hammering home is that well, William Gaines was not really interested. He was not a traditional like businessman in terms of running a comic shop. He wasn't interested in making the most money. Basically, he realized Tales from the Crypt is making us a ton of money, and I can do, and it's making it's it's making us enough money that I can do whatever I want with the other titles, <laughs> and and so a lot of the other like titles that ran for like years from EC Comics were perpetual money losers, uh, but Tales from the Crypt <laughs> paid for paid for him to do uh, uh, weird weirder weirder stuff. It's always fun when you hear about that when like the son of the owner decide or or whatever decides to do his own thing like you hear about like carl lemley jr like the whole reason that universal became associated with horror is junior lemley who was just like just like he needed something to do and so like here just (laughs) just take care of these monster movies and then of course out of that comes frankenstein and dracula and all that and everything that, that universal would become known for um yeah i don't know uh and then i'll last say the last I'll, I'll lump three together because I watched not one, not two, but three panels about Jack Kirby. Uh, <laughs> one was the tribute to Jack Kirby that I mentioned earlier. One was an introduction to Jack Kirby. And then there was a panel on the Kirby Lee dynamic, which is uh, a contentious mm. uh, history. And that panel included, I'll shout out um, uh, the comic book uh, or the comic news writer and upcoming Stanley uh, biographer, Abraham Reisman, who I will just say is uh, maybe the best follow on comics, Twitter. If you are looking for mm-hmm. uh, someone to follow, um, he's, he's great on, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, th- these were all really interesting panels. Jack Kirby uh, who died in like 1994. So a lot of us uh, don't know him as this, but he was one of the sort of like, patron saints of comic-con he was there from the beginning he was like he helped the original because he'd been going to conventions um and there had never been one in california i don't think before san diego comic-con in 1969 and so the but he lived in california he lived in thousand oaks and so the uh people who were founding comic-con went to him and he sort of helped them based on his experience in conventions like plan a convention and then like you know went to everyone up until up until uh he died in 94 and uh there was a uh, so non comics people maybe don't know because non comics people think of uh, San Diego Comic Con as a place where studios come to pitch movies and TV shows and or, or to, to to sell movies and TV shows and there's parties and stuff. But it actually is a comic book convention and there is a the the sort of uh, to again frame it in a movie way the Oscars of comics the Eisner Awards are held at Comic Con every year and it was a tradition to start the Eisners with a standing ovation for Jack Kirby for you. Like even while he was there, he was apparently kind of embarrassed by it, but um, yeah, it seemed like a really, uh, really uh, interesting guy. And obviously uh, uh, a, a great talent in the history of, uh, of comic books and comic book art. Uh, so much so that not only did they have three panels about him, but I watched all three of them. <laughs> That's, yeah. I'm, I like Jack Kirby a lot. I've gotten into his like early stuff a lot more recently. I've read a lot of, uh, the uh silver surfer stuff that he did um which was really cool uh, him and stanley and then um some of the stuff that he did once he moved from marvel to dc so he did like etrigan the demon and uh you know all the all the fourth world stuff which ended up being most of what the backbone of dc comics kind of like greater mythology is like you know all the villainry all the kind of cosmic stuff that's all from kirby yeah just a fascinating dude um with a very weird um, and distinct style of of drawing and it's it's crazy that a ton of the more recent marvel movies and dc movies for that matter 
are like paying homage to him yeah. specifically, like with visuals yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, more more colors and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, everybody who reads comic books knows that the Kirby Silver Silver Surfer is the only true Silver Surfer. There you that's, go. Uh, that's from Crimson Tide. I had to look up the exact wording of the quote, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what Denzel Washington says in Crimson Tide. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, just to sort of burn through some of these, um, there, there are a couple of, uh, there were just sort of just discussions about psychology and, uh, that sort of thing, which I always like one is called Christmas in July, the psychology of pop culture and Christmas, which I did. I liked, I didn't love it. I thought it was kind of interesting when it just talks about like the, the type of pop culture, uh, Christmas related pop culture that, that, uh, the reason that it resonates depending on the type of person, uh, that is talking about it. I thought that was really interesting. I watched one called crazy talk, mental health, pop culture, and the pandemic, which I, which I enjoyed that one as well. That, uh, interviewed like writers, but also psychologists and just talking about like the role that uh, pop culture can play. Uh, and, and we've seen, you know, panels like this before, uh, that just talk about the, the way that, that pop culture can, uh, unify people around a certain property or whatever, but then also it gets them thinking in times of, of stress, it gets them thinking about why does this resonate with me? Uh, and so in terms of something like a pandemic where, if you're into superheroes or whatever it is, chances are personal sacrifice on the part of the superhero is a bit, is a theme that really resonates. And so it was an, it was an interesting panel. Uh, and then I watched the mystery science theater 3000 panel too. Okay. And it was fairly dry, but nonetheless informative yeah. as well. And I think they that's the kind the of driest thing. of the people. Who was on it? It was Joel Hodgson. It was J. Elvis Weinstein. And it was um, uh, Bill Corbett, who yeah. I love all of them. I, they're all great. Yeah. They're the driest people. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's Why, the kind of thing. You couldn't have front of the show, Frank Conniff. You couldn't, uh, they couldn't. <laughs> I don't know if that would have helped with the dry factor, yeah, but. I guess that's true. He's pretty dry. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting, of course, but uh, I think this is an example of, I think if you, if you had gotten those three guys on a panel in front of people, I'm not going to suggest that they would turn into Sam Kinison or something like that. But, uh, but I do think that the, the conversation itself would just be a little bit more energized. And yeah, yeah, I love those. I love those guys and I like what they're saying, but uh, there is just, I found myself, my mind drifting during a, uh, a conversation that I would not have expected, you know? Yeah. I kind of felt the same way about that one. I was, that was when I was like, Oh, this will be a lot of fun. And it was like fun. And that was about as much as I would go like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And cause there were, because they're so dry, there was a lot of, and it's a zoom call. Every, everyone exactly there like, and, and we didn't really talk about this, but most of these, most, if not all of these panels are edited in some way and some are edited really well. And some of them are just kind of edited. And that one was kind of like, the pausing was was bad on that one i felt like and and, yeah. and like it kind of it zapped some of the humor away because the moderator would like take a few seconds before he would laugh and stuff like that so it was yeah. kind of a bummer as a comedy fan yeah it 
And, you know, it's interesting because uh, I did watch the panel on what we do in the shadows. I watched that one. And too. and appropriately, uh, as as I was watching this, uh, many of these panels and feeling my energy drain away, I was reminded <laughs> of Colin Robinson from what we do in the shadows uh, and just thinking like, oh, man, uh, like the episode where he gets a promotion and is up and is uh, capitalizing on like technological difficulties to like sap the energy of the people in the room. Yeah. Um, but I did, but I enjoyed the, what we do in the, in the shadows panel. Uh, I unsurprisingly, my favorite part of this, just, just listening to Matt Berry talk, uh, because you realize, Nope, that's what he sounds like. That's him. Everyone else is doing some kind of voice, but Nope, that's him. Uh, and I think it's, it's just hilarious. And even though he's, you know, there was a, uh, he was giving Mark Hamill shows up in a, in a, in an episode in the second season. And, uh, and so Matt Berry had to like act uh, opposite him. And so to hear Matt Berry, who just sounds like, why would he ever be in awe of anybody but himself? Just his voice sounds like that. Uh, (laughs) but to hear him talk about being a little bit humbled and, and a little bit freaked out by like, Oh my gosh, this is Luke Skywalker. Uh, it just, it just speaks to like Matt Berry is one of those guys that like, he, he, he gets cast as certain types of characters and you know why, and it's because he sounds a certain way, but in actuality, he's still just a, he's a regular guy with this astonishing voice, uh, who is still in awe of Luke, uh, of Mark Hamill just as much as anybody else. But I did enjoy that panel. I did too. That that's a show that it was a, that's a quarantine watch for me. I had not watched any of it. And this, the entire second season uh, was on Hulu and uh, you know, Hulu on FX or FX on Hulu, whatever it is. And so my wife and I just plowed through it. It took us, didn't take us very long. It's a a pretty short show, but now it's like, that's my favorite show. I want that. I I want more of that show so so fast. Mm. It's so good. And, and like, and that panel is, is moderated by Haley Joel Osment, who is in the first episode of the second season and is marvelous. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, really I, probably my favorite episodes of the show. Cause yeah, I was the same way I tore through seasons one and two uh, in like a week. Um, Colin Robinson's promotion, but then also that episode with Mark Hamill, but specifically when, <laughs> when Laszlo goes to this, this city and uh is jackie daytona that real episode human is bartender real human bartender and it's just <laughs> and he just talks about <laughs> he talks about he goes yes i uh, i came here and i took over this bar uh from the previous owner because i killed him <laughs> just like so <laughs> casually like bragging uh or acting yeah. like he's being very canny um like he he won it from the guy in a in a card game no he just killed him and took his bar man that episode is funny and uh partially because it's it's matt berry being matt berry yeah he gets his own episode that that show like i i thought the first season was good like i really thought it was funny i liked all the characters the second season is where it just was like you they just took the concept and went in so many different places like you have guillermo like secret vampire hunter and all of those action sequences are amazing yeah and um uh and then I'm, I think Nadia is like the bee's knees. I think she's just so funny and weird. And she gets to talk to the, uh, her own soul in a, in a doll for most of doll. the story. Yeah. Doll. It's, it's, so yeah, I, I, I think that they really also like, it's, it's funny, but I think they also develop the characters and the relationships more in yeah. the second season. And, and totally. they do talk about that in, in the panel, you know, especially like Nandor and Guillermo, like their, their dynamic changes 
over the course of the second season. And so they, they spend time on that, which I enjoyed. And I did not realize the actor who plays Nandor, like I didn't think the voice he was doing on the show is his actual voice, but boy, did I not think it was the voice that he actually has like this deep husk Australian voice, which is really weird too, because I, uh, when I was getting into the show, I was like, Oh, I know this, this guy, he's the voice of a few different characters, but brains specifically, who's like the nerdy, um, uh, Indian from a person from India in the show Thunderbirds are go, which is like a British kind of action show. Um, and so it's like, boy, he doesn't sound anything like he does most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really something, but I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that panel and I just love that show so much. Me too. That was a, that was, that was a real treat. Did I, um, that's, that's it for me as far as panels. Did I ever tell, uh, speaking of Haley Joel Osment, um, uh, the story of when I said hi to him at the Burbank airport, it was uh on the flight home from sundance last 2019 sundance um and he was in the movie extremely wicked and i can't remember the whole extremely wicked shockingly evil and vile or whatever mm-hmm. yes and um i guess he was on my flight but anyway i was like i got off the flight and like got my stuff and i was headed for the 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 door and he was coming from the baggage claim carrying skis clearly he'd been at sundance to promote his movie and to get to hit hit the slopes uh and i was like and i said oh hey good job in extremely wicked and he was like oh thanks man and then walked off into the night (laughs) (laughs) yeah normally at an airport someone like you wait for someone he just like with it put tossed his skis over the over his shoulder and walked into the darkness (laughs) i'm gone he lives a block away (laughs) he keeps a he keeps an apartment above the airport and he just (laughs) um kyle do you have any any panels you didn't mention yet yeah, there was a couple more that I saw. I watched um, uh, a panel about uh, one of my most anticipated things coming out that is actually coming out very shortly, which is uh, HBO's Lovecraft Country, um, mm. which is a book I am currently reading. I have not finished it yet, but um, uh, it's uh, it's a really fascinating book, kind of like using Lovecraft's mythology in uh the 1960s in the south kind of like you know kind of working on the same way because uh, the the main character's uncle wrote uh, a book like safe passage for african americans at you know mm. like, where you can go and stuff like that and so that is used uh because they have to drive through this p- specific place to find his dad um and all of the places or like the the town names are from lovecraft and they're like is it this is not because they're all very well like learned or not learned but like uh uh, they're red they're pulpy they read a lot Mm -hmm. of pulp novels and stuff like that the people in the book um and so they're like this can't be real and then of course it is in fact lovecraft country um but it's like obviously lovecraft has uh is a well-known racist Mm -hmm. um and and we're work that into a good chunk of his writing in some fashion or another. Um, and the naming of his cat. You can look that up. That's a horrible thing to learn about him. Um, I'm looking it up right now. And no, I don't need to know <laughs> yeah. anymore. I think I know. I already yeah, know enough bad. horrible things about HP Lovecraft. It's not like, yeah, I don't think my opinion of him is going to change. Yeah. It's already I, pretty low, but what's really interesting, but it, it, you know, so oh. far in the book, I, yeah. Thank okay. You. Yeah. All right. There <laughs> it is. Everyone at home. Oh boy. Um, 
horrible man um but came up but a te- but a scared person like just in life was terrified mm-hmm. and so came up with these horrible nightmare images which are very indelible and so the the point you know or one of the interesting things about the book and and the show hopefully is that um it's it's dealing with the fact that he was and kind of perpetuated these horrible racist ideas but also came up with these really um also indelible uh, uh, you know, ideas of cosmic horror and stuff like that, which we're still seeing today. So, like, um, I was, I'm, I'm really stoked for that uh, show and um, to finish the book. And also, um, I think the cast is great, and they were all there. It was, it was just a cast um, uh, panel. There weren't any writers there, um, and it was, it was fine. It's, it was one of those where it was like choppy and stuff like that. I wish it was a little bit more um, fluid and had been cut a little bit better, but really excited for that show and so the panel uh, i thought was good i also watched uh didn't watch the whole thing but watched a little bit of uh hbo max's looney tune cartoons panel um hmm. and i i love the looney tunes and i'm really stoked to watch those cartoons but they got all the voice a good chunk of the voice actors and uh some of the writers and much more interesting was the the like the directors and storyboard people and how how much they're trying to make these new cartoons look like they're from the 30s and 40s which i think is really cool um and how uh they were saying like when hbo bought the show you know once they were getting you know gathering all the stuff for their their um streaming service we're like we're really stoked for this we want to see you know a couple whatever you have and they showed a couple shorts and they were like no no, no we want the new episodes and they were like no these are brand new we just made them they just look <laughs> like they're from the 40s and so that is uh, you know uh, always really interesting to to listen to and also um voice actors are just like the the happiest most bubbly people on the planet <laughs> yeah. like they're always just so fun to listen to yeah, actually um, the, the new I cartoons th- actually came up in that bugs bunny panel that i was talking about because uh, they were talking about the the thin line of like not having bugs like like working in things like apparently bugs bunny says like fake news at one point and like trying to like yeah include some of that stuff without going overboard and having him like uh yeah I, there's a site gag where he pulls out like, a an iphone at one point too which okay. is like yeah but they tried to do it as much as they could um and then the I mean, last I one there's I watched, a certain I point of fa- like like the, uh, sorry I, I keep cutting you no, off please like, go. there's a certain amount of like you don't you don't want to pretend like the present isn't happening but it right. also would feel kind of cheap to like have an like to have bugs is like tiktok profile tiktok is <laughs> yeah people who listen to a recent episode or an upcoming episode actually tiktok is like my one reference for young people, people who have listened to an upcoming episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i realized after i started saying it that that episode hasn't <laughs> hasn't released yet um but yeah it was uh, like uh uh, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, you don't want it to be too topical because the thing that makes Looney Tunes kind of stand the test of time is kind of just how, you know, like universal a lot of them are um, mm-hmm. and how just kind of, you know, zaniness is just like kind of baked in. But there are so many references that only in years like recent have I been like, oh, that's what they were talking about. There's a lot of, you know, like caricatures of, of yeah. film stars yeah. of the time where you're just like, oh, that's, you know, I didn't get any of that stuff when I was a kid. But, you know, the more you watch old movies, but... Yeah, there's um, there's obviously like a meta quality to Looney Tunes, uh, which I always liked and always made them feel kind of adult. Um, and there's a way to do that uh, if you make new ones. But I feel like it, it's maybe it's that, you know, maybe I'm just too precious about old Looney Tunes cartoons. But at the same time, it could also just be that, like, there's a, a bit of a tightrope. If you go too far into like a, a modern reference 
then immediately it's dated or I don't know. It's it, it would be a hard thing to do. I'm I'm very curious to actually watch some of these now and see how they how they uh, play. Yeah, there. I I think they look really fun. I'm 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 stoked to give them a watch. Um, and then the the last panel that I watched, I only realized a little like partially through the panel. I was like, oh, this isn't actually a Comic Con panel, but it came out that weekend, which was a, a Rick and Morty panel, which was a part of oh. uh, Adult Swim at Home. Um, or Adult Swim Con or whatever they were calling it, but um, it all feels the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can watch yeah. any number of things. It all feels exactly the same. Yeah, Entertainment Weekly uh, posted this thing where it's like a cast read-through of Scott Pilgrim That's with, with the cast, and that's neat. But yeah, it's like it might as well be an official Comic-Con thing, yeah. but no, it's Entertainment Weekly, but it, they're all the same. They, you yeah. know what? None of them look any different than what we're doing right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Zoom is the uh, is the great equalizer. Well, there's what is that horror movie? That Zoom horror movie that's like out on Shutter now that they made in the last couple of months. Really? Is is uh, I forget what it's called, but um, it's or host. I think it's called Host. Weirdly hmm. enough, um, but it's supposed to be really good. But it's I'm part of me is like I don't want to watch a Zoom horror movie because I already find Zoom pretty horrific. <laughs> <laughs> well, and certainly like that movie Unfriended, which I wound up liking right. so much more than I Way thought more, I was yeah. going to. Uh, that one, yeah, it's uh, grand. They're I think they're using Skype at the time, but uh, you can just kind of adapt that, and it'll be it's perfect because yeah. now these characters literally can't interact with each other in real life. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, okay. Well, David, well, did you have you're no, you're I, done, right? Yeah, just uh, I I mostly had fun with this. I hope this is the only year that it's like this. But yeah. uh, I did manage yeah. to to get some some enjoyment uh, out of SDCC at home. And one of the advantages of this being what it is, like I mean, we we do uh, Comic Con recaps every year, and I, I don't know how interest how interesting the listeners find it because they it's, I don't it's care. all in, it's all no neither do I <laughs> yeah one of our favorite uh, episodes we we you know we do what we want and nobody can tell us what to do we're Americans and we're battleship pretension uh, but beyond that uh, there is the, like hearing us talk about a panel it could be interesting but there's nothing they can do about it but now. Uh, if, if any of these panels yeah. sounded interesting to anybody, head on over to YouTube, check out Comic-Con um, and, uh, and find the panel because there, there were some, yes, it, it, you're watching Zoom conversations and that's only going to be so interesting. But, uh, but some of the stuff that, it, that is said is, is uh, insightful and entertaining and all of that. So, and informative. You want a history of EC Comics, there's a nice uh, 60 minute version. Waiting for I want. Them. I want nothing of the sort. I want to imagine what the history is. I don't want anyone to put to set me straight. Um, but I, I almost, I, I do almost feel like I want to go in and watch more panels. If partially, I know this sounds weird, but partially just as a way of supporting Comic Con. Mm -hmm. Like they're doing what they can, as we all are, and this, and this is the way that I can support them. I know that sounds strange. It's not like it needs me to help them but uh i feel obligated to yeah it, it is one of the, the few things that i think people in our space like it, it it is the beacon it is a fun thing to do i didn't get to go last year um and i missed it like i was like because you know you're there every year and it's kind of like you have fun 
sometimes you don't like, especially if you're working it, like it's it just kind of, it's, there are years where it's a grind way more than it's actually enjoyable. Um, but I found myself kind of being like, like, because you were there, David, and I was just like, Oh, I could have hung out with David, you know? And I, you know, like that, we don't see each other, even though we live very close to each other. We do not see each other nearly as much as we ought I actually to. don't know where your place is. <laughs> no, um, don't say off. it now. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you off, Mike. Let's <laughs> all give our addresses and see, yeah, you know, a little, a little reward for anybody who listens to the end. <laughs> I, I have figured out where people are if they have podcasts in LA and they kind of talk enough about stuff. I've figured sure. out where they are. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, but anyway, uh, um, uh, well, people probably know Tyler's neighborhood if they care to, cause we've, we've named enough. Landmarks, yeah. Yeah. Which is say the barbershop that's called D's cuts. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, thank you for joining us, Kyle. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for asking. Ho- hope to see you in person at San Diego Comic-Con uh, next year. Um, yeah, assuming we've got so too. COVID whipped by then. Uh, or just better, more comfortable masks at the very yeah. least. There yeah. you go. Uh, um, uh, in the meantime, you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. You can email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at Davy pretension. I didn't review anything this week, but I've got hella reviews coming next week. So, uh, <laughs> uh, check stay tuned to battleship pretension.com for lots of movie reviews. Uh, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Um, did I already say that? Did I say Davy pretension, Tyler pretension. What do you have mm-hmm. to, po- to plug Tyler? Uh, well, I, uh, it was, it was mentioned earlier, uh, and this actually isn't me, but, um, the, the fear of God podcast, uh, which, uh, I, I is run by, uh, Reed Lackey and, and Nathan Rouse is available at more than one lesson.com. And they recently actually did an interview with, um, I think his name's, uh, Matt Ruff, uh, the author, I, I might have that wrong, but, uh, the author of, uh, Lovecraft country. And so, uh, yeah, you, so you can go and, and listen to that, uh, and, uh, good for them for, for getting them. And, uh, people have, uh, commented on that episode being particularly interesting. So, uh, if you're interested in, in, uh, that show or the book, uh, you can head over to more than one and, uh, and check it out. Kyle, uh, what do you have to plug? Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle D Anderson. Um, I've been tweeting very, I, either weird stuff, stuff about tokusatsu, which I'm just like now obsessed with, um, or, um, uh, stuff about how I'm sad. <laughs> so it's a lot, it's the, the cross section of that. Um, uh, and actually, if you if you go to Nerdist.com, uh, I've I've gotten to review a lot more stuff recently than I than I have gotten to in the past. I, I reviewed uh, C- Criterion's recent uh, War of the Worlds Blu-ray, um, which is gorgeous yeah, looking. It is. And uh, I just as we're recording this, it just went live, but it, I, it'll be live anytime somebody's listening to this. Uh, the uh, recently released Severin Blu-ray box set of uh, Umberto Lindsay, Carol Baker, Jolly, um, which uh, are really super interesting and fun and they have great commentaries on them and that's uh, the movies called orgasmo so sweet so perverse a quiet place to kill and knife of ice which are all really good titles and <laughs> quite good movies as well so that you can find those at nerdist.com i i recently on facebook i saw somebody and i don't remember the specifics but it was essentially like like, hey, what's the gi- what's the giallo of your life? What you do is you take the color of your shirt, the last thing you saw, and they pick like seven items uh, that you have to plug in. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, pretty accurate. Anyway. Well, thank you again for being here, Kyle. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye.
बाय This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.